Welcome to the program, uh, everybody. It came from Cleveland for 5-27-2022. Boy, we have a fun show for everybody tonight. A little something different. Joe's going to bring us a little something different tonight for his segment. I'm excited about it. Okay, hey, Joe. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. We're going to we're gonna test your... Uh, test your... Uh, your ability to identify music. Yeah, it's called Name That Tune, Joe. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so. That's a catchy. That's a catchy. That's a yeah, catchy. So. From Hollywood, the music capital of the world, it's the $100,000 Name That Tune. Now, we don't quite have that kind of budget around here, but with, you know. With one note. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I, as as promised, I just want to unload this real quick. Joe has given me thirteen audio clips that over are of a certain theme that I have not listened to at all. They are just numbered. I went in, I compressed them, I saved them. That was it. I didn't listen to them, so it could neither be, did I. Yeah, <laughs> so it could be you know he could be you know sent me a bunch of Hitler speeches. I don't know. So, oh, uh, that'd be useful in my segment. <laughs> That's right, Miles. So, sorry, Miles, I didn't do that. <laughs> no Hitler speeches. Oh, no, no. Um, not even the English anglicized version. <laughs> oh boy. So, yeah. uh, but no. So I, I've been excited about that. But I apologize to everybody for the late start. And Michelle, you of course are going to be uh, talking about uh some people that you truly love uh with all of your heart and that's uh that's very exciting yes 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 and they have a sir arthur conan doyle reference to them as well so i i kind of made full circle on this one very cool very cool and of course miles you will be talking uh a little nazi talk later Oh uh, yeah, and actually, the, it's uh, the the moment of this what I'm going to be talking about happened very like right on the nose of when uh, Hitler gave his final radio address to Germany to uh, you know fight to the bitter end while he takes the easy way out. All right, all right. So uh, yeah, for my birthday, uh, you might have gotten a, a hint at who I'm talking about. Open the pod bay doors, hell. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Uh, of course, the the star of the legendary uh, Stanley Kubrick space epic, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, Keir DeLay, who's done a lot of really good stuff uh, outside of that, but kind of low-key. He never rode, you know, he never got, like, the superstardom that a lot of people might have gotten, you know, from... Uh, you know, like, you know, the Star Trek actors or the Star Wars actors and stuff like that. Um, uh, you know, I, I, but he did reprise his role 
as Dave, uh, although a very altered Dave in uh, 2010, uh, the year we make contact with Roy Scheider. Um, and anybody uh, might remember a, a little bit of what he sounded like in that. Something's going to happen. What's going to happen? Something wonderful. Oh, God, that was so chilling. Um, and But I've got all kinds of interview stuff with him and uh, other other clips from things that he's done. He did, you know, I, the more I read about him, the, the more I, uh, interesting things I found out that I had never known. And to me, uh, uh, you know, Joe, obviously this is a, he's a guy who you probably have a lot of respect for because, you know, you're, you're a Kubrick fan and in that movie, you know, you're a big sci-fi fan and, and I'm sure that movie means a lot to you and his performance mm-hmm. in it was, was pretty haunting and great. Yes, it was, and um, people don't realize Kier Delay was the central figure. I mean, if you know the film, he's he's really the central figure because yeah. he's the everyman in the entire arc, story arc. Yes. Tennessee, could you stop that? I'm going to throw a towel at you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Tennessee's so. going to close the pod bay doors on you. Yeah, jeepers. You're a and you know he won't open yeah, so uh, he, uh, but it, uh, yeah, so Kier Delay, uh his birthday is next week, but I figure we'll be into June next week, so I, I thought I would go ahead and uh, jump on uh, talking about him this week, because again, and what a distinct look he has, Michelle, very attractive guy, um, and was just in tons of amazing things. But his birthday is May, May 30th, uh, 1936. He's 85 years old. And you know what? I feel horrible admitting this. I thought he had passed away. And I was in, and I, tears came to my eyes when I discovered he was alive. Um, but, uh, but Michelle, I'm sorry. I kind of cut myself off while I was <laughs> mentioning to you, you know, just the, the, his look is so distinct and, and kind of, you know, he almost like has a, 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 a very tortured look, you know. He has a very set of sharp features, which mm-hmm. is very cool. And um, I remember him in, uh, in Witchblade, I think. He, he played several in several episodes of Witchblade, which is a, right. a fun You're series right. that I enjoyed. Yep. Yeah, and, and uh, he's still working today and, uh, uh, and I mentioned it to you two the other day. Um he was in um uh he's gonna be in the the upcoming uh Halo television series mm-hmm. as Fleet Admiral Hood and Miles Halo, that is that a game you're familiar with, the the video game? I I've played it uh back in the day, um, with my nephew where uh we, we coordinated. I, I would drive a vehicle and he mounted the gun and killed mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, he also uh, very recently was in Fahrenheit 451, the remake, the HBO. Very cool. Uh, he was the historian in that. Um, and uh, and he's done some really interesting voice work here and there. And there's one that's that's a really kind of a charming and surprising one that he did. But I, I'll get to that uh, soon. But I do want to talk a little... There's some fun stories um that i have uh from him talking about um 2001 and 2010 uh but uh this is a uh, pretty interesting about the the voice of hal the computer 
And this is uh, um, where, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm looking at my clips and I can't find it. Um, but uh, yeah, there is a, uh, uh, yeah, the voice of HAL 9000. What you heard in the movie was not what Keir DeLay and his castmates heard uh, while they were filming it. And this is pretty interesting. This is an interview from a couple years ago at a convention. Stanley had a hard time making his, his, up his mind about what the ha voice of Hal should be. One of the first actors he was thinking about was an actor by the name of Marty Balsam. He was in Psycho. He played the detective who was killed on the stairway. Uh, that was Marty Balsam. But he did many other wonderful films. Then he decided, no, it's, he's too New York, or the accent was too New York. So then he hired a British actor by the name of Nigel Davenport, who was actually on the set just for the first week of shooting our section of the film. No, he says it's too British. So he said, I'll worry about it in post-production. So for the rest of the film, which was months, this is the voice of Hal. Oh, you better take a stress pill. It's all like that. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer. It's like working with Michael Caine. You know what I mean? <laughs> So, so yeah, that um, and and just uh, for for what if purposes, I went ahead and I got uh, the other two actors who were considered for Hal. Uh, of course, uh, Marty Balsam. Here's a short clip of him. You'll recognize him as Detective Arbogast from uh, Psycho. See, I'm looking for a missing person. My name's Arbogast. I'm a private investigator. I've been trying to trace a girl that's been missing for oh, about a week now from Phoenix. It's a private man of the family wants to forgive her. She's not in any trouble. So that could have been, you know, that could have been Hal. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And, no, no, no. Uh, and then I tracked down a quick clip from uh, what I believe is a great movie that that often gets knocked. Uh, I know they made fun of it quite heavily on Mystery Science Theater 3000, which I don't, I, I don't always agree with the movies they pick to riff, but the, there's a movie called F Phase 4, which is a very arty sci-fi movie. And uh, this is um, uh, Nigel Davenport from uh, that movie. Then you must go. You must show them. We will not. Man will not give in. So, yeah, so those are the two different people that could have been Hal. Uh, well, and one of them was, at least, uh, you know, to... Uh, to the cast and, and crew, um, you know, so the, uh, the, I forget uh, the name of the actor who did the voice of Hal, but it turned, he was a Canadian actor. Um, so, uh, but, uh, let me see, but back to just real quick, back to, to Keir DeLay, he was born in Cleveland. So it came from Cleveland. Uh, you know, Keir came from Cleveland. Um, hmm. and, uh, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, and his full name is Keir Atwood uh, Duella, or Delay, Delay. Gosh darn it, my my mild dyslexia kicks up with his name. I swear to God. Um, and uh, you know, there there was another interesting story I found, and it was him talking about how little dialogue he had and the reasoning behind it in um, in two thousand one, A Space Odyssey. And there also was some cut dialogue from it, and and he remembers it. <laughs> and I think you'll be pretty impressed by this. Check check out this clip. You might be interested that um, 
there wasn't a lot of dialogue in 2001. Why? Well, in the, our section of the film, don't forget, these two guys have been in space for months and months and months. And they've talked it all out. There isn't a lot to say in that just our mundane, everyday jobs, running the spaceship while our colleagues are in deep hibernation. So there wasn't a lot of dialogue, but there was a scene where I was gonna have to talk to Mission Control. And um, if you remember, Mission Control talks to us. So I was worried about this scene because it was a long speech and it was kind of technological gobbledygook. And I was worried about whether I was gonna be able to memorize it because it, was, it wasn't everyday speech. So I went over it and over and over and we shot it. But then Stanley, when he was editing the film, decided that it was redundant. It was too much like the other scene where Mission Control talks to us. But because of the way I memorized it, now this is 50 years ago, 1966, and I still remember the speech, and it went like this. Mission Control, this is X-ray Delta One. At 19020 onboard fault prediction center and our 9000 computer showed Alpha Echo 35 unit as possible failure within 48 hours. Request check your in-ship system simulator. Also confirm your approval our plan to go EVA and replace Alpha Echo 35 unit prior to failure. Mission Control, this is X-ray Delta One. Transmission concluded. That's it. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. <laughs> That's a that's a sharp mind there, uh, you know. And that was just a couple of years ago he did that. So, uh, sorry for the rustling. I had a piece of bubble wrap on my desk and needed to put away. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's uh, you know, uh, Miles. That uh, you know, you you can appreciate some technical gobbledygook now and then. That that's a uh, that's a pretty good pretty good uh, memory, huh? Yeah, yeah. I I I like uh, I like the the lingo of uh military talk and uh, air traffic control talk and all that yeah yeah so okay. go ahead michelle douglas rain douglas rain was the voice of hal thank you yes and a canadian so, actor because canadian yeah. accents were just that much bland enough for him <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah that there you go there you go bland and, and polite bland and very polite yeah very polite um, now, uh, but there, there's some bit, been a few other interesting things related to 2001, uh, a space odyssey that he has done. Um, and there, there was a behind the scenes, uh, interview, uh, that he gave a while back. Uh, I, I think I'm, I'm guessing it was probably for like the, uh, 50th anniversary edition of the dvd or blu-ray or something like that but i found an 18 minute documentary and it, the the respect the profound respect joe that that uh Kierdelay has for stanley kubrick uh really is kind of boundless mm -hmm. um it, it, he he's one of those actors who is so appreciative of being put into this this world this cinematic world that at the time, he had no idea he was going to be part of something so phenomenal. Right. But the profound impact of it on him as a, as a person is, uh, you know, is pretty, pretty cool. I mean, it, it's, and, and I, I really like to see that when, uh, 
an actor can look back at something and you know have have the same amount of joy as like a fan would have exactly i i always sort of resent when uh actors complain about being typecast when they were in an iconic role you know yeah uh you see that a lot and yeah. you didn't see that with care delay yeah, and, you know, you know, like Harrison Ford always whining that he wanted Han Solo to be killed off and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it's yes. like... Then become a writer and write your own script. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but but Danny Trejo was happy to be typecast because he was the angry Mexican Chicano. There there you you go. Go. That's what I am! <laughs> <laughs> That's what I am! <laughs> and, by, and by the way, do we know who was uh, uh, Keir DeLay's uh, fellow astronaut in this uh, little adventure? Uh, Remember he, uh, Frank Frank Wool, the other astronaut. Yeah, yeah. Who was that? Um, the actor. I don't. I I I know it, but I don't have it memorized at the moment because I'm not. He was you know. on a Star Trek. He was on the Star Trek pilot, actually. Oh, where no man has gone before, with oh, okay. Sally Kellerman. Very cool. No clue. Gary Lockwood. Uh, Gary Lockwood. Okay, thanks. It was on the tip of my brain because I yep. know he, you know, he mentioned Gary Lockwood in a, uh, at least one of these interviews too. Yeah, he was the lost astronaut in 2001. Yeah. Yes. He was the guy in, on the forklift. <laughs> the, <laughs> the space forklift. Um and uh yeah, so uh but uh so uh, he so yeah, so uh, going back to what I was saying about um uh, his admiration for Kubrick. This uh, here's a clip of him from this kind of behind the scenes uh, 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 feature from, I believe, one of the DVDs or, or some kind of TV special or something. Stanley Kubrick's 2001: A Space Odyssey is a milestone in the history of the cinema and a milestone in the history of the futuristic imagination. And beyond that, it's a film about the most profound questions of our existence. The power of what it suggests in images goes beyond language-based theories and beliefs. And part of the film illustrates the knowable and the measurable. But then it suddenly and unexpectedly bursts into the space that words cannot begin to express. And we're left to understand and interpret as best we can without the blueprints of any specific belief or system. Stanley Kubrick himself recognized this. He wasn't willing to interpret the film, neither this nor any of his other works, but he was forever intrigued to hear what others felt about 2001, and though often surprised by these interpretations, he nonetheless found them rewarding and legitimate. So that's pretty cool, uh, you know, that, that he... You know, he didn't want to interpret it for you, but he wanted to hear what you had to say. And that's not, um, that's not, you know, uh, that, that's a kind of a rare characteristic for a filmmaker. And, you know, it's, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. And, and I can appreciate that because, you know, it's like, uh, I, I, I do watch, you know, 2000, I've seen 2001 many, many, many times. And, uh, you know, and, and The Shining and, uh, you know, other of his films that are very open to many interpretations. I know Stephen King Can absolutely I... despised The Shining, but go ahead. What were you going to say, Miles? I just want to I just want to compare 
what he's doing to a amusing moment for me. Everyone here's watched the uh, movie Princess Bride, where the six fingered man subjects Carrie the Carrie <laughs> character to the to the machine, and then just says, "How does that make you feel?" <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I don't know if I've seen that. You haven't seen the Princess Bride? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think I've seen. No, I've never seen the whole movie. Oh, it's a classic. Yeah. It's it's like well, I can't. I wow. It's ne it's never really been my cup of tea. I know a lot about it because Adam played clips from it and stuff on his show, but I've never really watched it. And I know you know, you kill my father, prepare to die. You know all that. Yes, stuff. yes. So. You know, there's a, so there's, yeah, there's a scene where he's uh, in, in in being tortured by the six finger man, mm. and and he's, uh, he's I, yeah. Sorry, I sorry, I lost you on that. I I thought I thought it, it, you'd get it. Uh, Joe. Have you seen Princess Bride? I have not. Oh, oh why? No. <laughs> oh God, I feel I I feel I must leave the show. Now. It, it's 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 like <laughs> the two of you have disappointed Michelle and I to a, to a level that is just indescribable. I'm inconceivable. actually inconceivable. I'm actually embarrassed. So. No, I don't. I I don't feel that bad. But uh. to me, it, 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 it to me, it's my perfect movie. So there you go. Yeah, I uh, I I've seen parts of it, but I've never sat through the whole thing. You know, just not my not necessarily my thing. But I know Adam loves it, and he's probably gonna he's gonna he's gonna cry. Oh no! Oh, he's getting sad he's now. He's quoting oh, no, for he's it like from everybody. Oh, now yes. he's running away. Oh, is he gonna cry? Cry? Did you see that? He was totally gonna cry. I'm kidding. Adam's not gonna cry about it. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. So, uh, but um, anyway, um, I do appreciate though that the you know I think that that's that's a remarkable trait for a film filmmaker to want people to interpret the work you know you know and there are a lot of writers like that too uh, a lot of comic book writers like that um grant morrison is one of them uh you know there's uh, neil gaiman to a certain degree um and uh, other filmmakers uh, david lynch obviously and uh i'd say uh uh alejandro jodorowsky was one um who many of you probably not very familiar with um, but, uh, yeah, Kubrick is probably the most mainstream of, 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 uh, filmmakers who, who wanted that ambiguity and couldn't sell a movie with a certain level of ambiguity, Joe. Yes. And, um, it's amazing. Like when I went to see this with my friends, how many interpretations of that movie depended on which drug they were using at the time. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, wild parsley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, but, uh, all right. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, we should probably get going to the break cause I have a fair amount of, uh, other audio to play. Um, another surprise project that I did not know Kier Delay was part of related to Stanley Kubrick, uh, and, you know, and, and some more interview stuff and some oddball stuff that he's been part of and a horror movie that I know Michelle knows. Um, but in the interim, we need to get to our first birthday trailer break. Uh, lay it on us, Michelle, who, who are we celebrating this week? Oh, this is, this is a double feature because we are not only celebrating an author, but we're celebrating three films that this author inspired. 
Okay. So, yeah, we have uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is the author I'm speaking about. May 22nd in 1859. And we all know him from the Sherlock Holmes movies and Lost World. So, um, the first movie we have is um, Sir Lawrence of Olivier, May 22nd, 1907. He is in The 7% Solution from 1976. It is a uh, Sherlock Holmes movie that puts Sherlock Holmes and Sigmund Freud together. Ah. It's very interesting. And Sir, La- Sir Lawrence Olivier does not play Sherlock Holmes. He plays Professor Moriarty. Oh. Um, and then we have Sir Ian McLean. I'm sorry, er, Sir Ian McClellan, uh, May 25th, 1939. He is in a movie from 2015 called Mr. Holmes. Cool movie. And then we have Robert Morley, May 26th, 1908, in A Study of Terror. Another Sherlock Holmes movie from 1965. Good job on the research. Here we go. Uh, Get out your magnifying glasses and funny hats, everybody. Shortly before the turn of the century, two of the great minds of all time met and began an adventure that history has yet to record. Sherlock Holmes and Sigmund Freud. Together they are their very lives. Universal presents The 7% Solution, Nicholas Meyer's best-selling mystery from the personal memoirs of Dr. John H. Watson. First, you must tell me how you guess the details of my life with such uncanny accuracy. I never guess. It is an appalling habit, destructive to the logical faculty. This is wonderful. Come on, The 7% Solution, revealing for the first time the vile and destructive habit that almost destroyed the world's greatest detective. Watson. The true identity of Sherlock Holmes' arch-nemesis, Professor James Moriarty. You startled me. Come on, Watson! And the extraordinary circumstances surrounding the hitherto unknown affair has been known as the adventure of the 7% solution. That's right. Nicole Williamson is Sherlock Holmes. Alan Arkin is Dr. Sigmund Freud. Robert Duvall is Dr. John H. Watson. Vanessa Redgrave is the lovely Lola Devereaux. Jeremy Kemp is the Baron von Leinsdorf. Joel Gray is the possibly fictitious Lowenstein. Say yes! And Sir Lawrence Olivier is Professor Moriarty. Persecuting me is the only way I can put it. Persecuting you? I see everything. I am on the case and you have placed me there. Now you must follow my instructions. Sherlock Holmes' most baffling mystery. Mystery. Sigmund Freud's most curious case. The year's most intriguing motion picture. Where was this train originally heading? It is now the Orient Express. There has been no explanation for the 7% solution until now. It was 30 years ago. Watson had left and the tourists had come back to Baker Street to catch a glimpse of the real Sherlock Holmes. Was that him? I have seen Sherlock Holmes with the hat and the pipe. (laughs) I prefer a cigar. I told Watson, if I ever write a story myself, it will be to correct the myriad misconceptions created by his imagination. Did you write such a story? I'm trying to do so now. 
case, which was to be my last, began. You've come about your wife. How did you know? When you're a detective and a man visits you, it's usually about his wife. My Anne has changed. The case made me see that human nature was a mystery that logic alone could not illuminate. My wits must be at their sharpest. She needed my help, but I failed to solve her case. Watson wrote the story, but he changed the ending. So what happened? I must have done something terribly wrong. I chose exile, but what was it for? Are you going to go back to the case? One shouldn't leave this life without a sense of completion. If you are a woman, you walk these streets at your peril, for this is London's Whitechapel in the time of Jack the Ripper, one of the world's most infamous killers. Follow me. Don't leave my side for a single moment. This is where Jack the Ripper once walked. The back alleys he prowled. The bawdy spit and sawdust haunts he knew. Who was Jack the Ripper? Only one man thought he knew the answer. His address? 221B Baker Street, please, Kevin. His name was Sherlock Holmes. I have reason to assume a connection between this case of surgical instruments and your local murders, Mr. Baker. That's slender. Talk like that can get you through. No, sir. Talk like that can get you hanged. Sherlock Holmes, a genius at detecting the improbable and solving the impossible. Incredible. Elementary, my dear Watson. Dr. Watson, the other half of this fantastic partnership. <laughs> A study in terror in the brawling, gaslit back streets of London's East End. This is Carfax, who helped Holmes more than he knew. Chunky, who knew one of the victims very well. And Murray, the doctor, whose tongue was as sharp as his scalpel. One man has made us news! <laughs> to seize a defenseless female, to stifle her cries, and then... Has God destroyed Sodom and the city of Gomorrah? A study in terror. This butcher boy has the government, has all of us on the edge of a knife. Only this morning, three more men were attacked in the streets of London. These were the women who lived in the shadow of the Ripper. The redhead, once famed for her beauty. The gay, buxom little blonde. The kind of provocative women the Ripper loved. Till murder did them part. It's true these murders are the work of a madman, but a madman with certain medical skills, considerable intelligence and education. Then if you're right, Mr. Holmes, it brings us back to the doctors. Don't be too sure, Lestrade.
never see anything like it this side of hell. Girls, watch out for those weirdos. <laughs> we are the weirdos, mister. There you go. Uh, I love that quote. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the way that guy said murder in the trailer. Murder. Yes. <laughs> Only one man can stop the murder. <laughs> uh, anyway, welcome back to the show. Good job. That's a, That was a real fun uh, block of trailers. And and nice one to get the Ian McKellen, uh, uh, the Mr. Holmes one in there. Because um, that's kind of a... That was kind of a little one-off when a whole bunch of Sherlock Holmes stuff was coming out, and they they kind of did the older Holmes, which was neat. So. And I, I I actually do I'm not much of a drama person, but I actually enjoyed that movie. I I really but I like Ian McClellan, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it, but it was good. Uh, and of course, uh, welcome back to you, Michelle. Thank you for putting the trailers together. I appreciate that. You very are much. most welcome. And, and remember, mm-hmm. we're all weirdos. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> And uh, uh, so uh, let me see. Where's the? Yeah. You're some sort of weirdo. Yep. Uh, and of course, welcome back, Miles. Uh, sorry, I did not get the Princess Bride thing, but uh, I that's I okay. Appreciate Hello. the effort. So, <laughs> uh, and uh, looking forward to your segment too. And my, Joe, welcome back uh, to you as well, sir. Thank you. Looking and I'm so ashamed. To, to doing some. I haven't seen there. the Princess Bride. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to watch it now over the weekend. I oh, okay. think you will enjoy it. It's a fun little romp. I'm it is, sure. I've seen it, parts it of it. It is a Rob Reiner seen, movie, but, you know, it's, you know. I've used parts of it, I believe, in some uh, some of my segments. Mm. Well, there you go. Uh, so, all right. Um, uh, let's go ahead and get back to it. I have kind of a long uh, Cure Delay clip. I just thought it was fun. I really like these older interviews um, from the 80s. Uh, but this is him with a, a guy named John C. Tibbetts. In 1984, talking about the significance uh, and and the and the standalone quality of uh, 2010, the year we make contact. That movie did not do fantastic at the box office, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was uh, a good spiritual follow up to 2001: A Space Odyssey. Um, but uh, you know, I know, you know, you've got you got some big boots to fill when you're doing a, a sequel to a Kubrick movie. But again, when you have the good quality writing of Arthur C. Clarke, it's it's easy to get right if you have the budget, you know? Um, and of course, it has Roy Scheider in it. Roy Scheider, you know, did a lot of great stuff. Um, Blue Thunder. So, <laughs> uh, was that Blue Thunder? Isn't that the helicopter movie he did? Um, yes, yeah. Blue Thunder. Because there's Blue Fo- Thunder with him, and then there's Firefox with... Uh, uh, Clint Eastwood, and then Airwolf, the TV show with Ernest Borgnine and Jan Michael Vincent. <laughs> so, helicopters were all the rage in the 80s. Um, although Mr. T hated them. But, uh, oh, but hey, the A-Team's coming to MeTV. I'm so excited. My my parents didn't let me watch that when I was a kid, so now I get to watch all the A-Team uh, shows now. Um, but uh, there must it must have been on opposite something that they watched because I never got to watch it when I was a kid. But, um, yeah, so uh, here we go. This is a longer clip uh, of Kirtley, 1984, talking about returning to his character from 2001, 
in the movie 2010, the year we make contact. And welcome to Hollywood. Welcome to the land of 2010. Some might say they were the same thing. My guest today, Kier Dulle, this is a man who I suppose stands at the center of a whole cycle of recent science fiction films because your image in 2001 has probably helped stimulate millions of moviegoers and uh, really helped spawn a whole new cycle of science fiction films. A lot of responsibility there. How do you feel about that? Well, uh, the actor, of course, is it's, it's such a subjective position anyway. You just go in, you do your job, and it's so, it's so much before the fact in terms of distribution and release, 2001 being uh, a particular example of this because it was two years after I finished my part of it that the film was released. I was already onto other things. So you don't know that you're going to be a part of a film that's going to, in a sense, be a cult film. It's just very rewarding afterwards. Like, you sit back and you see that film. In fact, when I saw 2001, it was like somebody else was up there. Well, when you appear in 2010, the moment is greeted with applause, just as maybe this the Starship Enterprise's reappearance. <laughs> um, how do you feel, then? Let's take us back to that screening that you saw. Suddenly you realize that your image up there on film really is now a part of a whole national consciousness. Does it make you feel kind of spooky? It's, uh, yes, it's uh, uh, spooky. Certainly it's very exciting and uh, it's um, uh, very complimentary, obviously. Uh, what, I, what pleases me most about my appearance in this film is that I am a part of the legitimate link between the two films. Indeed. At the same time, the child of 2001 has, uh, in a sense, parented itself and becomes become its own entity, much more than I would have expected uh, in terms of style, of in terms of the, the pace of the film, in terms of the editing, in terms of the performing, the kind of performing. It's much more of a human film. There's humor in this film, uh, in much more than there was in 2010, uh, 2001. And uh, so in a way, I feel, I feel very good about it being a link. Even the character I play, even though it is somewhat different than I was in 2001. So in a way, I'm a link, yet I also have gone with the child and become the parent, too. <laughs> well, for some of us, unfortunately, it's been a case of long time no see since 2001, the Fox pictures like that. Where have you been? Well, I dropped out for four years, uh, to use the 60s vernacular, and decided I was very cavalier and uh, decided that uh, I didn't want to act anymore. I suppose it was a midlife crisis or something going on. It was the end of a, of a marriage. All sorts of things were going on. It was convenient to blame it on showbiz. And, uh, but it took me about four years uh, after living in London and uh, meeting my present wife, uh, who we've been married now for 14 years. Uh, uh, she's English, and my life changed. And so uh, in 1974, I realized that uh, I really, what I like to do is act. And it's what gives me the greatest satisfaction. So uh, I came back to the profession with a revival on Broadway of uh, Tennessee Williams' Cat on a Hot Tin Roof opposite Elizabeth Ashley, which I played the part that Paul Newman played in the film. And, uh, and it was like being bitten again by that old bug. And I knew I just had to live my life differently. It wasn't I didn't have to be a part of show business anymore. So that's where I was. But in effect, even though I came back that long ago, a, a four-year hole in a business, particularly in terms of film, it's a very fickle business, well, out of sight, out of mind. Those of us that haven't seen you in a while may be startled right now seeing you with the hairstyle. I might not oh, have recognized yeah, you for yeah. a moment. <laughs> well, maybe it, ref it probably reflects the fact I've become a lot looser in my life, a lot more relaxed, uh, more balanced person than I was then. I was much more hyper in those days when I made 2000, let's, 2001. Uh, let's compare teen and college audiences for a moment with the two pictures, 2001, 2010. Do you think a different kind of audience, the youth audience now, is seeing this picture as opposed to that maybe more 
oh, agitated audience that saw the first film? Well, I think it deals with different concerns, and I think that's why 2010 uh, can be a, a can be a big success. Uh, it deals with those issues that it deals with. Uh, are we going to have a holocaust, uh, a nuclear holocaust, in, indirectly? It's indirect, but very strong, very much stated in this film. My daughters, who were too young to be affected by 2010, they're a perfect example, they're 21 and 18, thought it was fantastic. And they thought it, they were reacting to this film standing on its own two legs with no reference to 2000, 2001. And they found a, a wonderful balance between the hardware and the humanity in the film. And I think that, that is a different balance in this film than 2001. The, uh, I won't say we were smothered by it, but certainly we were one, the actors were important cogs in the wheel, but nevertheless cogs. And I think the balance is different in 2001. Well, here, Dully, I want to I mean. echo the words of Hal in 2010 when he says, welcome back, David. <laughs> Good you. to see you again. And from Hollywood, and from 2010, it's not as far away as you might think. This is John Tibbetts <laughs> talking about 2010 from MGMUA. Sure isn't. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, I thought that was some pretty fun insight into that film. And you know, again, he brought you know brought up the movie that did have some humor in it, and uh, it can kind of stand alone. But he he admits that he's kind of the 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 tie-in between the two yes so um I, and you know and of course they're very much a product of its time talking about you know you know nuclear war miles that was you know pretty much you know we were all freaking out about that in the 80s yeah yeah there's all kinds of anti-nuclear movies i mean everything from godzilla to uh the Oh God! It's escaping my memory. The Superman first, Four: the, the Quest for Peace. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's another one I was thinking of. It was pretty, pretty horrific. Uh, yeah, the day after there was that. That's TV, it. That's the it. TV movie that traumatized me as a kid. Um, and uh, but yeah, you know. So and Joe, you you lived through that kind of uh, you know thing twice with uh, the hysteria around nukes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> air raids. I remember air raids. Duck and cover. Yep. Well, not not, not only that, we would have local air raids where we'd have to turn out the lights, and mm -hmm. uh, we'd have marshals going up and down the street making sure our lights were out. And yeah, when I was a kid, it was scary. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. So, but you, you had like a decade off, and then it started over again. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the seventies. Now it's back. Yeah. Now it's back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, Michelle, lots of fun, uh, you know, stuff in there. You know, talking. He talked about you know how he he just dropped out for a while for four years. Well, that's good. Sometimes you need a reset, and yeah. you know, um, and and that's good because sometimes a lot of the actors come back from that and they are really strong, um, and yeah. some find that they don't want to come back. And that's cool that he, he, he came back and he, he found the love of his, of his life. And that's pretty amazing. And all I, I have to also say is just that uh, my, my mother lives in Hackensack. <laughs> um, and uh, the, uh, 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 let me see. Oh, I lost my train of thought. Another interesting tidbit I found out is uh, he did uh, five episodes in total 
of the CBS Radio Mystery Theater. Um, which Very cool. Also boasted uh, 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 somebody, uh, Fred Gwynn, somebody that we all know and love, did a few episodes, uh, quite a few episodes of that. But he did uh, f- three episodes in 1975 and returned and did two in uh, 1982. The first one he did, Michelle, was The Premature Burial, based on Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, that's a good one. And uh, the other ones were A Coffin for the Devil, It's Murder, Mr. Lincoln, The Magic Stick of uh, uh, Manitou, Look Out, Miles, <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, I Am the Killer. Uh, from That's the second 1982 episode. But I, I grabbed a little clip from uh, A Coffin for the Devil uh, from 1975 because I thought it was fun because it was a different setup where E.G. Marshall, basically they kind of try to do that, you know, fake you out as if it was a real story kind of uh, an episode where E.G., you know, he's like, oh, a young man approached me about, uh, uh, he had this coffin and, you know, it's real, it's true. Well, that young man was Keir DeLay. And um, this is uh, from January 27th, 1975, about a minute of the CBS Radio Mystery Theater, Coffin for the Devil. What do you do when a perfect stranger tells you he has a coffin which might interest you? My first instinct was to tell a young man that I wasn't in the market for coffins. But he quickly explained that he wasn't a salesman, but an avid listener to our series, and that he had a macabre story of a strange coffin that had been in his family for generations. I was intrigued. So the next night, I found myself in his old suburban house, drinking coffee with his wife, Cora, and his friend, Professor Gerald Barker, and looking at a large wooden box, which appeared to me to be a case for a bass fiddle. This box, although you may not believe it, Mr. Marshall, is a coffin. And this letter, which my wife, Cora, found in the attic, explains how it came in our family, and also how it happens that I'm not today a mortician. It was written by my great-grandfather, whose name was also William Spindles. And the letter begins... I, William Spindles, swear this to be a true and honest account of the strange happenings that befell me when I was employed by Edward Rogers, the undertaker, in the year 1851. Uh, that stock music that they used in that was also using the soundtrack from Play 9 from Outer Space. A lot of old-time radio reused that music because it was cheap. Um, so, and that's why Ed Wood used it. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so that's kind of fun, you know, knowing that he was part of that series. And that one sounds, uh, rel- you know, pretty spooky. The only problem, I was going to get part of the one from the Poe, uh, uh, one Michelle, but I couldn't tell who he was because they were all kind of doing English accents and the audio quality wasn't as good as this one. So I couldn't identify his voice because they don't give a cast list of who plays who on these. So, uh, so sadly, I, I had to go with the other one where I could definitely identify his voice. Um, He's got the voice for it. Yeah. Beautiful, smooth voice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just reads wonderfully. And, and that's, uh, uh, and we'll get to that in a second. But now, okay, I, I was going to try and watch this series. All right. Um, that he was part of a 1970s uh, sci-fi show called The Star Lost, and this TV show was based on 
uh, a story written by um, Harlan Ellison. And uh, the, let me see here. It's 1973 to 1974. It ran for 16 episodes. I bought this on DVD. And it was created by Harlan Ellison, written by Harlan Ellison. And I, in the research of this, Harlan Ellison was a very abrasive guy. He's, a, he's the guy who said that he would piss on Gene Roddenberry's grave for what he did to some of his Star Trek scripts. That's, yeah. you know... That's pretty rough, <laughs> you know. And he had a very antagonistic relationship. Yes. Yeah, and it, I I didn't get any of the audio just because I thought it was disrespectful. And it's it's about Kierdelay. It's not about uh, Harlan Ellison. Um, but Ellison was told about the casting of uh, of Kierdelay in the in an elevator, and when he did. Uh, when he was when he was told, he hit the emergency stop button on the elevator and started berating the people that were, you know, making this show, and uh, and and he was just like, you know, just trash and cure delay for no good reason, and you know, so I found it kind of offensive. But the show itself, it it is awful. It is just an awful show, and it, it's so bad. That they redid the opening for it two times in one season. You know, they did. Here, listen to the 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 original opening, and then I'll play the second one. And it's just, it's bad. It's a great concept, but it is executed so poorly uh, for what you know they were able to accomplish on shows like Star Trek and movies like Two Thousand One. I know they couldn't have had a budget like that. But you know, Jerry Anderson was doing better special effects than this. But th this, listen to the the opening. Earthship Ark, man's greatest and final achievement, out of control, drifting through deep space over eight hundred years into the far future. Its passengers, descendants of the last survivors of the dead planet Earth, locked in separate worlds, their destination long forgotten. Heading for destruction unless three young people can save the Star Lost. Okay, for time I'm gonna I'm gonna just slide the music down. It's just you know it's it's fun '70s music, but um, then they they changed it because. Apparently, people must have been confused about the concept of the show. And I, I, you know, but the the next one, Joe, the next opening starts with 48 seconds of dialogue re-explaining what the show is about. And it's terrible dialogue. In the year 2285, a catastrophe of galactic proportions threatened all Earth life with extinction. News of this catastrophe caused panic and riots. The leaders of planet Earth selected species to seed other planets in an effort to save the legacy and culture of the human race. In order to do this, they built Earthship Ark, a spaceship 8,000 miles in character. The Ark left Earth in, in the character. year AD 2285, containing the selected species and culture each living in separate and isolated biospheres. Uh. It is now the year 2790. The inhabitants of Earthship Ark are unknowingly on a collision course with a Class G solar star 5,000 miles in character, thus in threatening character. the destruction of all mankind. Uh, 
<laughs> it's just mm. exhausting. It's like, you know, uh, okay. I don't really think you need that kind of, uh, 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 you know, I mean, look at, look at Buck Rogers, the beginning of Buck Rogers, you know, it, it's yeah. pretty easy. He's yeah. in suspended animation. And he's thrown into the future into a wild new world. You know, the concept for this show is great, but the, 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 the special effects that for the ship are okay. The interior shots, tons of green screen and ugly design and you know the character, uh, and I feel I feel bad for Kier Delay being part of this mess. Um, and, and you know, there's uh, I, I I'll save you the the clip for the end of the show. I have a clip of audio from it, but it's it's boring. It's boring. In the first culture you meet, are like a bunch of Amish people, and there's nothing spacey about it at all. And there's no real, you know, and and it's it's like you know. Oh, but then he leaves his little self-contained world. And then he's like supposed to be in shock about the surroundings around him. But the surroundings, uh, you know, because there's like, oh, he's transported through a rocket tube and he encounters a computer because everybody on the ship, they've been living their own lives and they don't know what's going on. They don't even realize they're in a ship. They just think they're on their their own respective worlds. You know, because the, the crew of the, you know, the ship, it's a derelict ship, basically, with people unknowingly, you know, hurtling to their death. And, you know, it's like a bunch of Truman shows. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And, and, you know, a bunch of Truman shows and the camera operators died, you know, uh, so, um, and, and this has been done, uh, there was, uh, an old time radio adaptation that was very good that was done of this called, uh, universe uh i think it was on x minus one or dimension x but uh but yeah this show um i i'm I'm gonna try and watch the whole thing at some point but after watching the first episode i'm like oh it just made me feel icky you know um so so i don't recommend it i really feel bad for kier delay i was so excited i was like wow he did a sci-fi tv series it sounds great it's not good it is not good (laughs) The computer is irritating on it. It's this guy with a mustache and funny eyebrows and glasses on a round screen. And Ugh. yeah, it's just, it's, it's stupid. Um, wow. But uh, one thing I will recommend, I have one short trailer I would like to play for you. This strikes me as being very, very interesting. Um, it is an animated short film called 2001 Sparks in the Dark. And it stars Kier Delay as Stanley Kubrick. He does, he voices, um, they, there was a Playboy interview that Kubrick did uh, way, way back. Um, and this movie is a recreation, an animated recreation of that interview. And it's, it sounds fascinating. And I was like, how cool is that, that, you know, they brought in Kier Delay. And it's, it's, it's not that old. It's from 2018. Um, you know, uh, Michelle, how cool of an homage to Kubrick is that to bring in Kier Delay to voice him? That's pretty neat. I like yeah. it. So, uh, so yeah, here's a little snippet of that. Interview with Stanley Kubrick on the film 2001 A Space Odyssey, August 20th, 1968. What is the metaphysical message of 2001? It's not a message that I ever intend to convey in words necessary to open up our earthbound minds 
However vast the darkness, we must supply our own light. So there you go. Short trailer for a short film. Uh, but yeah, it looks really fun. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm definitely going to check that out. Uh, got to find it streaming somewhere. But anyway, that's all that I have for right now. But happy birthday to Kier Delay. Uh, uh, what a, what a treat. And, and Joe, you know, uh, again, a, a living legend. He's still with us today. I love that. Yes. Yes. As is Gary Lockwood, his fellow astronaut. They're both That's 85. Right. That's right. So, yeah. uh, you know, and, and God bless them, you know, and, and, and they keep work, you know, well, I know Kier, Kier keeps working and I hope he, you know, continues to do so, but, uh, we got to get going to the break. Um, but we'll make sure we have time for everybody's segments tonight because we don't really have a lot for the end of the show. But, uh, uh, but I, and oh my God, I still haven't watched Obi Wan Kenobi yet. Uh, so, um, got busy. But, uh, looking forward to that. Maybe we'll talk about, uh, Obi Wan next week. That'll be fun. Um, so, uh, all right, here we go. We're going to go to the break. When we come back, you're going to get out your thinking caps and, Get your best guesses ready for 13 mystery audio clips that Joe has provided to us. So, how exciting is that? We'll be right back. Hey. Oh. What were you going to say, Joe? Oh, I said, hey. Hey. <laughs> so. <laughs> Something's going to happen. What's going to happen? Something wonderful. It's going to be a good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. Back from the dead, kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish unto you. Something evil. From Hollywood, the music capital of the world, it's the $100,000 Name That Tune. Not recommended for impressionable children. Maybe the kids will like this one. Welcome back to the show. Uh, hope everybody liked the Cure Delay talk. Uh, welcome back, Michelle. Yep. Welcome back, Miles. Um, Hello. And Joe, uh, I've got 13 clips with your name on it. Yes, you do. Nothing else. And but go ahead and set this gonna... up. Yeah, set this up for for us. Yeah, well, it's Quinn Martin's uh, birthday on May 22nd, so I thought we'd play a little game. He had so many shows on uh, on the air at one time that. Uh, you have to be familiar with some of them. Now, some of the so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have people listening or and uh, our co-hosts. Uh, we're going to play some clips from his shows, openings of his shows, and you try to guess which show it was. All right. Okay. All right. Now, I'm, some I'm of gonna... them I have to say are a little mm -hmm. bit uh, abstract. Okay, you'd okay. have to be a real Martin, but uh, you should get a lot of them. So uh, anyway, a quick. Quick rundown. Queen Martin, born, uh, like I said, May 22nd, died September 5th, 1987. Uh, producer, uh, 
Also, uh, he's in the Television Hall of Fame. Uh, by the 1950s, he was an executive producer for Desi Lou, found up by Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, of course. Very nice. And um, he became, uh, he, he was married to the one half of the writing team behind I Love Lucy. Oh, Her name very was cool. Madeline Hugh Davis. That was his wife. Uh, he died of a heart attack September 5th, 1987 at his home in Rancho Santa Fe, California. But for then, he had some success. So what we're going to do is we're going to play clips. And I'll leave it up to uh, to you, Kenny, how long you want to play the clip. And we'll see if uh, they run about 30 seconds uh, if you go to the max. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, – w- will there be a blatant giveaway on some or – uh, there shouldn't be. The only blatant giveaway would be if you are so familiar with that show that you would not miss the, uh, miss what it was. Okay. So, um, let's start with clip one. It sounds real familiar. Mm-hmm. I, wrote, I, I wrote down a, a, a word, but because uh, I don't think I remember the actual show. Ooh, man. You get partial credit for words. Okay, <laughs> so... Uh, or identify some part of this this, uh, this show. I, it, it sounds... I mean, the orchestra uh, quality of the music sounds very old as far as like... Uh, I don't know, like Man from Uncle or some sort of old uh, uh, Ironside kind of thing. Um, but I think it's a sci- I think it, it might be a sci-fi. One of his oldest. I think it might be a sci-fi show. Okay, but I, da, 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 da. it's I, not I'm, Sequest. I can't it? quite place the theme <laughs> of the music, but it, I yeah. I was I was leaning on Sequest or Land of Giants. Well, you youngins may not remember this one because it was from 1959 and ran till 1963. I remember it because I was 10 years old and I loved okay. it. And my parents watched it all the time. It was called The Untouchables. Oh, okay. oh I know what that is. Yeah. Starring Robert Stack narrated by the oh wonderful Walter Winchell. All right. So uh, ran from 59 to 63 on ABC. Well, so Miles so, was closer to being right with the 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 uh, uh, topic. I was off because yes. I was thinking sci-fi. It was so, based on the memoirs of Elliot Ness, uh, from, from famous Cleveland. prohibition agent from Cleveland, Chicago. Ohio. Well, he was from Cleveland, or Cleveland too. Elliot I, Ness. Yeah, I think I think he uh, he was born in Cleveland. He may have been. That's that may have been, but I know. The uh, the show was based in uh, in Chicago, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, um, so that was clip number one. So, well, no, I'm wrong. He, he he, but he came to Cleveland at one point, I think, for the torso murders or something like that. Okay, um, yeah, he but, was. Uh, yeah, it was that their their 
the agents were handpicked and they were um okay so now clip two is a little bit uh more abstract uh i don't know it's one of his better known uh series but let's play it and see if you can guess tonight's episode lady killer starring leslie nielsen co-starring martin balsam robert redford with special guest star Anne Francis. Whew. Some big names there, huh? Yeah, yeah, wow. Um, yes. Well, I, I'm thinking that that's not, that there's probably, was there a main theme separate from that? It was a crime drama. I'll give All you right. that. Because I'm, I'm from that era. I'm ge- trying to guess who you know was it. Was it Peter Gunn? No, I definitely don't know it. Okay, it was a series called The New Breed. The New wow. Breed. That's deep cut. The there. New Breed. It, Never it was, heard of it. It was no. a crime drama. Like I said, it was. Uh, it starred Leslie Nielsen. Uh, he led something called the Hot Shot. Detail. <laughs> okay. And it was the first of uh, Quinn Martin's independent uh, production company that was not associated with Desi Lu. So, right. okay. The next one you should get, and especially you, Miles. If you don't get this one, you're disqualified for the whole the whole. Oh, thing. no. <laughs> no, not Wow. Pretty I, good, I'm, huh? Yeah. I'm That's at a, very I'm orchestra. At a uh, 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 I'll guess victory at sea. Well, you're poking around the right the right church, but you're in the wrong pew there, Miles. <laughs> Let me give you a guess. It starred someone who also was in a famous Star Trek, original Star Trek episode. Hmm. Assignment Earth. Assignment Earth. Oh. Oh, that's oh, the, that was the name of the series. That was the name of the episode on the original series. That backdoor pilot episode. Uh, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With Terry Gar. Robert. Right? Robert Lansing. There was a series. I don't think he's gonna. Oh, is, it. It, is this the? Is this the offshoot of the? Uh, this was a, this was a series that Gene ran from sixty four to sixty seven. No. no, no, this was based on a World War Two movie. Twelve o'clock high. Wow, Robert Lansing as General Frank Savage, which they killed off in the second season. <laughs> oh dear! So. Yeah, they wanted somebody younger, and then he went on oh. to do Assignment Earth. You know, um, I don't know. Did you know? Did you watch a recent season of Picard? Yes. Because they legitimized that Assignment Earth episode. Yes. Which is fascinating yes, they did. to me. Which I think is great to make it canon. 
Um, yes. It's never been referenced again. But go ahead, Joe. Uh, we'll, we'll keep trucking. Okay, on. well, uh, okay. Let's go to clip four. Oh, you should all get this one. Um, it, it, where, was I closer to it on my first guess <laughs> uh, from, no, no, I'm definitely drawing a blank. Okay. These, these are some deep cuts here. I think it, it uh, was, a, go ahead. There was a trail derailment. So this was, uh, it, it involved a train train. Well, the first episode that's, it was a train derailment and, uh, got away. Oh, the fugitive? There you go. Bing, okay. bing, bing, bing. All right. There we go. All right. Go. So. All right. Yeah, Dr. Richard Kimball. All right. A physician wrongfully accused of his wife's murder, sentenced to death, and on the way to death row, Very the train cool. derail. One-armed man. Okay. The next clip, if you guys don't get it, I'll be sad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Make me sad. Oh, is, that a, is that a sci-fi vibe? Yes, it is. Is it an anthology series? Uh, no. Okay. Not, so well, same recurring I, cast. It, not, no, not. Uh, yeah, I guess you could call it an anthology because yeah, lost in outer space. Yeah, lost no, space. definitely not lost in space. Um, not lost in space. No. Uh. So is, you're saying is it is it an anthology series like the Twilight Zone, or is it more of the regular cast? Is it the same cast? Every regular ca same same guy every week. Sort of like Richard Kimball, but he's looking for something else. Okay. Um, and it's not of this world. Okay. Oh my gosh, not of this world. Uh. Oh my God, Joe! You're you're the, you have this, this is three seconds. Stuff. I I, just, I don't I don't know. Oh, okay, man. it was the invaders. Oh man, I have Roy only seen Thinnis. that a couple times. I've only seen it a couple times, but I do I do. That's a show that I, I find very enjoyable. It was it it was running uh, right after uh, right after uh, on uh, MeTV. Uh, not yeah, like, not long after. Uh, Fingoli. Like, yeah, well, like three or four in the morning. <laughs> three in the morning. Right, 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 right. Okay, the next one. Uh, okay, I'll give you a little clue. Another uh, crime drama. And okay. it's 
start a famous uh, someone you're gonna know was in some at least one great movie a lot of fun movies and had a really neat car clips okay. Okay, had a really neat car. <laughs> in the movies. In the movies. Okay. Is that yes. the saint? No, but keep keep poking. A neat in the movies. <laughs> in the movies is in the movies he was uh he played opposite Jackie Gleason. Oh, oh Burt Reynolds? You're getting there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm trying Burt to Reynolds. think of, what was Burt Reynolds in, in a TV series? The TV series was named. Was it Stan? Dan August? No, Dan August. Oh, I definitely don't know that. 1970 to 71. Wow. He would investigate homicide cases in a fictional hometown of Santa Luisa, California. Wow. <laughs> now, <laughs> the yeah, but he was no, he's no Lee Horsley and Matt Houston. So uh, the only thing I know about um, Burt Reynolds before uh, the Smoking the Bandit movies was he was in Playgirl. Okay, you're right. That's yeah. right. He's been. Okay, uh, clips, I, I, huh? I, I, I've been seeing him on. Um, oh, uh, what's a Gunsmoke? A fair amount. Yeah, so. yeah. He was in a lot of those things. Yeah. Um, now the next one. Um, okay, uh, I think you should get this one, but uh, it ran for for a long time, sixty-five to seventy-four. All okay. Right. Clip seven. Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> um, the FBI. Yes. 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 Oh, I guessed it. Wow. That's yes. Crazy. Efren Zimblist Jr. Yes. Wow. It just yes. sounded like another crime drama to me. <laughs> and it was the FBI, which is having a reboot now, I guess. I don't even know that series. I oh, yeah. Efren Zimblist Jr. Inspector Lewis Erskine's. Who he was a widower whose wife had been killed in an ambush, meant for him. Yay! I got one even with my headache. Yippee. You did. You did. <laughs> you must be feeling better. Okay, the next one I don't expect anybody to get, but I'll tell you, uh, it starred somebody called Ken Howard. Uh, it was another crime drama. I won't waste too much time on this one, but play clip eight.
Guest stars, Celeste Holmes. <laughs> I love that. Celeste. I love the staggered bongos in there. That da, 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 da. I know. Adam <laughs> I know. 12. No, again, you're wrong, Mike. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a. <laughs> it was a crime drama called The Manhunter uh, about a 1930s, oh, wow. 30s era private investigator from Idaho. I don't know. You know, he, they were in all winners. Okay, clip nine you all should get. If you don't get it, you are you know nothing about TV. <laughs> TV. Right. Oh, I know this one. Okay, tell us. Cannon! Frank Cannon! There you go. Special guest, Buddy Ebsen. God, I love this show. I love that show. Uh, If I'm up at three, I watch it. Um, Well, let me tell you, if you didn't get that one, I I was going to leave. Uh, I love that. It's such a great theme, and it's a really fun show, and I just love it because he's always eating something good. (laughs) You know? (laughs) He's like, Oh, he eats! Yeah. (laughs) So, of course, that's... Yes, uh, he eats. uh, Conrad. uh, William Conrad. William Conrad. Exactly. And uh, who was also Jake and the Fat Man, and uh, what was the... uh, Nero Wolf, and also the voice of Matt Dillon on the Gunsmoke radio show. On the Gunsmoke radio show. Yeah, he was a very big personality. Absolutely. fun fact, Barnaby Jones is a spinoff of Canon. Well. Did you know that? The next one was not. I did not know that. But the next one was not a spinoff. But it had two famous... uh, co-stars all right I can only guess Starsky and Hutch. Uh, well, no. <laughs> Two famous uh, co-stars. No. Um, Carl Malden. Oh, Mike Street Douglas. to San Francisco. All right. Okay. okay. Here we go. All right. I, I recognized the music, but I was just like, oh, but yeah, Carl Malden. Yeah, yeah, that was a, enough of a clue for me. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, from On the Waterfront, if you remember. That famous. Oh, so we each got one so far. Yes, you're not doing well. The next one, again, uh, I don't think you're going to know this one. It starred Robert Stack, Joanne Harris, Shelley Novak, and Harry Rhodes. Uh, let's I go. Might, with I might know it.
Sounds like porn music, but I don't know. <laughs> my best guess is Mod Squad. You know, that Miles, when I heard that, I thought, that sounds like Mod Squad, but the name of it was Most Wanted, and it only ran for one season on ABC. So Now, the next one was uh, hosted and narrated by William Conrad. Oh. Hmm. This had a Great Britain uh, counterpart uh, that was much more popular. Um, and it was only one season. It was Quinn Martin's Tales of the Unexpected. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've never heard of that. But oh, William wow. Conrad? Nice. Yeah, he was the host and narrator. So that was an uh, anthology show. It was a horror and science then. fiction anthology. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Oh, the last one, that. if you don't get... You're all losers. Okay. I've already said the name of this one. <laughs> so, yes, you did. Uh, Michelle yes, Miles, you, did. you you care to guess? Uh, uh, Buddy Epson's the closest I got. Okay. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Uh, Barnaby Jones. Barnaby Jones. Yeah. yeah. With also, another Star Trek alum, alum uh, Lee Merriweather. Uh, who was also Batwoman. Yeah, also Batwoman. He was, a, yes, a detective coaxed yes. out of retirement. Uh, the, yep. the, the backdoor pilot was on canon for that, I believe. And then uh, they, um, I, I'd have to look at the history of it, but it is a spinoff of canon. But it lasted longer than canon, from what I understand. Let's see. Canon ran, uh, yeah, let's see. Let's go back here. Uh, canon ran from, go. 71 to 76. That had a five-year run. Barnaby Jones ran seven years, 73 to 80. Oh, see? There you go. Yeah, so, so it had a little bit longer run, and it had a run on CBS as well as uh, Annan. Yeah, they cr so they did cross over uh, a few times. Mm -hmm. So interesting right. stuff. Right. But uh, all right, so, Joe. Well, that good. was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Yes. A Quinn Martin production. Fun with Quinn Martin production. Quinn Martin, born May 22nd. Well, you, you've educated us all uh, here, so I appreciate it. He, he had a lot of shows. He did. Wow. So, all right. Well, um, we're going to have to get run into the break, so we have time for Miles, and we'll, we'll make sure we have time for everybody tonight because we don't have a lot for the end. Um, but uh, coming up, uh, Adam took the night off uh, 
He's slacking on us. Um, he so I just resurrected, uh, killed. He the also hurt himself too, so he's not slacking. I'm just too much. kidding. I'm just teasing him. So, um, but uh, yeah. So uh, so I just dusted off a uh, kill the hippies uh, music break from about this time last year, and uh, when we come back, we will uh, get uh, so we'll we'll find out some stuff about Nazis from Miles. Yes, yes, we will. All right. So we'll be right back after this. You put it on lamb, you never know it's lamb. Yeah. 
That guy needs to chill out. I realize this might not have been the wisest decision to play Kill the Hippies when Michelle is not feeling super good. <laughs> so hopefully she just sat out that break. Uh, I did. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, for you. Yeah, I appreciate you not. Uh, I like the music, but I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's not, you know, not very soothing at the moment. So, uh, but welcome back, Michelle. Your presence is always calming and soothing. And, uh, well, we I try. <laughs> and of course, Joe, uh, welcome back to you as well, sir. A good trivia there. That was, that was tough, but I appreciate it because I learned something. Well, yep. some of the, uh, some of the, uh, some of them were kind of vague. <laughs> yeah. Well, the FBI know. one, I just took a shot in the dark because I couldn't think of anything else at the moment. <laughs> yeah, that one wasn't so vague. I, like a Dan August or, uh, you know, things like that. I, let's see. Mm-hmm. So, and, of course, uh, yet another, I'm sure, a very calming influence in your life, Michelle. Miles is here to talk about Nazis. So <laughs> I, I do try. Uh, there are times when I fail utterly, but, yes, I do try. Um, so, what I'm uh, discussing uh, tonight is an event that is typically overlooked and not uh, thought of um, a great deal. Um, there are other more famous incidents. Uh, this um, involved the sinking of a ship. And there was a, uh, a, a great loss of life. Um, so I will uh, toss it up to the group. Who, who can name some famous... Um, uh, ship uh, disasters. Uh, well, the famous ship disaster. There's the um, um, one that uh, Gordon Light Lightfoot wrote a song about. Uh, what the heck was that one called? The Edmund Edmund Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. That's right. Edmund Fitzgerald. Was that like a care? I I don't know how many people died on that one. That was a Great Lakes. Uh... A Great Lakes. Yes, it, it was in the Great yeah. Lakes. Uh, I, well, Titanic. I I'm of sure it went down. I don't know how many. Oh, Titanic. Yeah, fifteen hundred people died on the Titanic. My favorite one's Lusitania. Lusitania. A twelve hundred people died. Yep. Andrea Doria. Oh, I don't have that name. Uh, have the numbers for that, but I, I'm sure um, it was probably a little less than 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 those other numbers, but. So yes, Titanic was about fifteen hundred. Lusitania is around twelve hundred, and and these are some of the more famous uh, uh, disa maritime disasters that are known, uh, you know. But people can name off the top of their head. The one yeah. I'm going to be talking about tonight is uh, credited for having a death toll around nine thousand. Wow, it's it's pretty steep. Um, so. It, the name of the ship is the Gustav Wilhelm, and it was a cruise liner that was ordered to be built by Hitler in 1936. Um, this was part of a program called Strength Through Joy, which you got to give credit to the Germans for naming things because they're very simple when they name things. It's it's uh, it's just the way <laughs> deflator mouse. Yeah, it's just it's just the way they are. So. Um, the, the, the purpose of this cruise ship was to give German uh, the, the population access to 
vacation time. You know, so they could go on this little cruise. And it was actually subsidized a bit by the German government. So for the equivalent of, uh, you know, a vacation, uh, it only cost about one quarter uh, the cost for a normal, uh, you know, German family to go out on this cruise ship and enjoy enjoy the lap of luxury, as you were. So... Uh, in 1937, the ship was launched, and then in 1938, it was going out on its first cruise. 1939, of course, is the start of World War One, when Germany decided, you know, Poland's looking pretty good over there. And then, of course, the Soviet Union saw the other half of Poland. A lot of people forget that because we were allied with the Soviet Union. But, yeah, the Soviet Union um, were also villains. In this, uh, in World War II, until they were no longer villains when they joined sides with us. Anyway, um, so it started 1939 as the World War started, and in 1945, the war was drawing to an end. It was uh, the the Russians had uh, reversed and were all pushing in. The Allies had already landed. And they were pushing in from France, and Germany was on its last legs. Um, and th this this happened uh, on January twenty second. This this disaster. So what led up to this is you have a vast number of German officers and um, other. Other nationalities, uh, you know, mm -hmm. Estonia and Polish and all that sort of stuff like that. And um, there were Nazi supporters in, um, you know, all these countries. You know, I, I hate to, I hate to, I know this isn't news to anybody, but even our country has fascists, you know. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I know. It's an ugly reality, but that that's just the way it is. So, the Red Army is pushing in on Germany uh, and it's going through Poland. And what is happening is that Germany was very unkind. War breeds an unkindness in people. And there was atrocities committed. Uh, the scorched earth policy, of course, you know, this towns raised to the ground people killed and so the um fear from the stories that were being spread was that the red army was killing german uh german sympathizers and, and supporters everything you know including the rape and killing of women and so um there was a panic a mass uh, of um uh, exodus that was desired to get the people out of the German sympathizers out of uh, the north of Poland and get them safely into German territory away from this Red Army that was just coming very unsympathetically down upon the land. Now, they couldn't cross over the land. Bridges were blown up. The railway system was decimated. Uh, and so the only way to escape was by ship. And so there was an Admiral Donuts, and he or, uh, orchestrated this thing called Operation Hannibal. 
and it was the equivalent. It, it, it was known as the German uh, Germany's Dunkirk. I've gone over the story of Dunkirk, where a mass mm-hmm. exodus of troops was getting from, uh, from the north of France over to back to uh, Britain's, and this is very similar. Uh, the Operation Hannibal did succeed in extricating about two million people um, back to Germany uh, uh, ahead of the Red Army. So there, there was some success in this, but this is the story about eh, some people that were not so lucky. So the Gustav Wilhelm is a cruise ship, and it is in the port in the Baltic Sea. And this is happening in uh, uh, January 22nd, so it's very cold. And the docks are packed full of uh, people, German officers and their families. There are uh, submariner crews there injured uh, from just general fighting, you know, war, war uh, people and soldiers. And they're all, and, and they, uh, the uh, submariner crews and the certain the uh, wounded get loaded on the ship first. And there are tickets that are sold for people to get on this ship. Now, when people are in a panic, the orderly uh, collecting of tickets tends to fall apart. And it did so in this case. The mm. mad rush of people to get on this ship to escape the Red Army exceeded the security measures in place. And the ship began, it, it was just a mad dash just to try and just get on board. It got so bad that the captain ordered the ship to disembark, to not disembark, but to, but to pull away from the, the dock. And the loading of the ship continued by tender, by little ferries that would run back to the dock. It would load up with people and then go back out to the ship and they would unload onto the ship. That's how bad this was. That's so it. Oh yeah. So this ship had a capacity of 2000 people. And it is estimated that when it left, it had 10,000 people. Jesus, on board. God. Where do they So put you're them talking all? about um, standing room only. There are people wall to wall inside this cruise ship. There are no hard numbers about how many people were on this ship because there was just, there's, there's no way to document or record any of that. So yeah. it's it's these are all estimates of of, uh, of what it is, but you know we can we can assume there is a fair amount of accuracy to how bad this was. So the ship leaves port, and uh, you know those saying how um, more than one cook in a kitchen tends to screw up, uh, you know how things are made, spoil the broth, as it were. Yeah. This ship had four captains. Oh, okay. There was one named Peterson. He was the captain of the ship. And then there were three other captains, one of whom was the guy in charge of all the submariners that were uh, coming along. And then there were two other captains of other ships, and they were on board uh, on the bridge, and they were doing sub-officer stuff. But when you're a captain... You tend to have this bravado 
this kind of, you know, macho feeling of, you know, what I think matters. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the captain of the ship had to deal with that. And there were some arguments <laughs> about how things should go and wh- what they should do. And one of the, de- de- they had to debate, they had a debate about what path to take. One choice was to just follow the coast and follow the coast in, in shallower waters. But the problem with this plan was that there were minefields along the coast and they were thinking, Ugh, no, we don't want to bump into a mine. That's bad. And then there was a shipping lane that it was considered. I know I wrote, there we go. Shipping lane, it was number 58 is what it was called. And that leads out into the deeper part of the Baltic Sea, which did not have minefields, but did have the potential of having hostiles that could engage them. And it's not well known. Everyone knows about uh, the German U-boats and... um, you know, even the, the British had some, and and uh, you know, Americans of course, of course, had some submarines, but the Russians had some uh, submarines. It's not many, but they had some, and there was a group of four of them in operating in the Baltic Sea. Three of them had left out of Finland and were out on patrol, and one submarine, S thirteen, left late. Because its captain was on a three-day drinking binge. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, he he was not thought highly of by the command, and I mean, we're talking like borderline getting court-martialed, kind of like you know, you're you're screwing up, buddy, kind of thing. Yeah. So this captain was, um, let's just say, eager to prove himself. Now, as I said, there were four captains on this cruise ship, and they debated, um, like, eh, we can either follow the coast or go out into uh, the, this shipping lane. They decided to go out into the shipping lane because uh, not only was it nighttime, but the seas were heavy. It was snowing. You know, the seas were pretty rough, and they're thinking, ah, it's it's pretty bad out there. We'll just chug along. It's so bad that, you know, it's not like any submarine's going to be able to operate or see while, uh, you know, out there. So, you know, that that's the that's the plan. We're going to go out there and risk that because, you know, eh, they, they, you know, it'll be where they will. We won't even be spotted. Yeah. So they are in shipping lane 58 heading towards Germany. And they know that they're going towards a group of um Oh, they have an escort. It's a frigate named the Low, and there's two other German vessels also. Two, those two smaller German vessels develop engine trouble. They have to pull back and get uh, head back to port to, to, you know, fix their problems. So now all they've got is the Low, and visibility is that poor that they know they're heading towards three German ships that are like minesweepers, um, and. The debate was whether or not to turn on navigation lights so that they don't run into or ram another via vessel. 
which would be very, very bad. And yeah, one I... of the captains is like, no, do not turn on your lights. We don't want to get spotted by a submarine. But the captain that was in charge, the one who had the final say in the matter, decided, yes, turn on the navigation lights. And these are the little uh, red light that's on the starboard side and the green light that's on the port side type navigation lights. And yeah. that was all that was necessary for this Soviet submarine captain to spot through the telescope. He's like, whoop, there's a German ship. He didn't know what it was. I mean, obviously visibility was shit, but he saw the lights. Mm -hmm. He pursues it and chases it down and gets into position, loads up four torpedo tubes. Three of them get fired off. The fourth one does not. It causes an emergency, an armed torpedo tube that did not fire. Now the crew of the submarine has to get this torpedo out of its tube because they're in danger of it detonating and sinking themselves. That's a little scary. The three... Yeah. So the three torpedoes um, all hit the uh, Gustav Wilhelm. The first one hit the bow. And that's where the crew quarters was. The next one hits a little bit farther to the uh, back in the ship. That hits where the pool, there's a, apparently an indoor swimming pool in this cruise ship. And then the third torpedo hits it in the engine room. And that kills all power on the ship. So now you've got a ship full of 10,000 people panicking in the dark, snow, and the ship is starting to list to port. The cap, the, the captain's starting to trying to talk over the uh, uh, speakers to, to restore order and get people to orderly, you know, evacuate the ship and, a, and and save as many lives as possible. But when you've got ten thousand people screaming, trying to get to the deck of the ship because they're all below decks, um, uh, yeah, the, it's it's this bad. There was a standing order that was given. Every passenger was required to wear the life, their life vests. But when you're inside, it's uncomfortable. You're, buck, you're you know, butt cheeks to shoulders to everybody around you. To you're nuts. overheating, and people took their life vests off. So now your ships get torpedoed. You're scrambling to get up to the deck, uh, up staircases that are designed for people that there's only 2,000 people on the ship. People are being trampled to death. And now I you, there's, you know, women and children all around this thing. And the ship starts p listing to port because those are the, that's the side of the ship that was hit. As the ship begins to tilt to port, that makes the 11 emergency life raft on the starboard side of the vessel unusable. And of the 11 on the port side, only five make it into the water. Oof. So people are getting pushed over railings because there's so many people on the decks into the frigid waters. And just like with the Titanic, I mean, this, is, this happened on January 22nd. Uh, you know, people are dying from hypothermia in, in mm -hmm. the water. And the five life rafts that make it to it and are full of like 70 people a pop 
are trying to row away from the ship and they are in pursuit. They are being chased by people that are in the water, desperate to climb onto these life rafts to try and get out and save their own lives. And the people on board these life rafts are hitting the people trying to climb aboard to save themselves from the boat being tipped over and all of them dying. So they're hitting the people trying to climb aboard with the oars, smacking them on the hands and head to, to get away from the mass of people that are in, on the ship. Yeah, that is rough. <sighs> um, the, uh, I, 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 earlier I mentioned Hitler giving, giving his speech. Uh, yeah, that, that, that doesn't really, yeah, that, 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 anyway, I, I, I that, that, that's something that happened earlier. So, um, the low comes in, tries to, uh, you know, rescue some people. It, it, it doesn't go that well. The three mind layers arrive. They start trying to rescue people, but because of the fear of the submarine, some of them are dropping depth charges and killing people in the water from the explosions. I mean, it, that's how that's how bad this is. There's stories, and this is going to be traumatizing. So, uh, if you don't want to listen to it, now's the time to close your ears for another minute. There are survivor stories of German Nazi officers seeing the writing on the wall and taking their families back below deck into little estate rooms and shooting their children and wives dead rather than have them suffer the long excruciating death of freezing to death in the waters. Wow. Uh, yeah, the, the war is war is absolute hell. And so, um, one, one small, uh, story is of a man that survived. He was a 10 year old child at the time. And he and his mother managed to get on the boat and he he had stolen a knife from his uncle's house earlier in the day and they was on this boat and the it was so cold the rope that attached the lifeboat to the to the Wilhelm was frozen and they couldn't detach the rope and it was in danger of dragging the lifeboat under and this 10-year-old kid pulled out his pocket knife that he had stolen from his uncle and cut the rope. <laughs> so there's there's a small little anecdote of uh, uh, something. Um, anyway, it took an hour and 15 minutes for the ship to sink. Mm -hmm. 472 people were ultimately saved. Um, and the S-13, the, the Soviet submarine, uh, stayed at sea for another week where it then sank the uh, General von Stoyan. That killed another 4,000 people. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so... <laughs> um, there you go. Uh, one of the worst maritime disasters uh, uh, compared to others, like the no, the ones that you know about, like the Titanic and the Lusitania and, and what have you. But uh, I, I, I'm sorry if I trigger anyone. I know this is a rough time to no, talk about right. tragedy. But, uh, you know, uh, that, and, uh, yeah, Russians, Russians are just, ugh, yeah. Oh, and the officer, he, 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 so the uh, captain of the S-13, 13,000 dead from, uh, the, the torpedoes he fired at ships, the 9,000 from the ship and the 4,000 from the other. 
he was eventually arrested and uh, put in prison, but not because of what he did here. It was for other reasons. And uh, eventually he was given the, uh, I don't know, Champion of the People Award or something like that. There's a, I don't know, a small statue or yeah. in his honor for being a, you know, a, a great, you know, whatever. But uh, historians kind of don't really fault the captain of the vessel for the sinking of this because there were anti-aircraft guns on this vehicle on the, mm-hmm. on the ship. So it kind of made it a warship, even though at one time it was a hospital ship. And um, there were also military people on board the ship that were um, very capable of continuing the fight in Germany. So it's sort of like a, who do you blame in this situation? You know, there's just a, bu- it was just a rough situation. People found themselves in. Kind and, of like uh, the fact that they won't let people dive on the Lusitania wreck nowadays. Cause they knew the Lusitania was shipping something naughty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Although it's pretty much acknowledged already that there were machine gun rounds in yep. Lusitania and whatever. Yep. But uh, anyway, <sighs> so there you go. The Wilhelm, uh, the Gustav Wilhelm, uh, nine thousand dead. Um, wow, it's like three nine elevens at sea. It's it's uh yeah, pretty much yeah. Oh, and bodies were washing up on the shore for weeks uh, after yeah. this. Yeah. Um, near, yeah. It's kind of um, like uh, Lake Mead, right? timely so uh this is depressing i don't intend to do a lot of stories maritime disasters but uh i decided on the story last week before the i think the 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 shooting in uh alvalde but uh, i think i'm gonna be sick there you go yeah you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) i i i I warned you i might try to make you feel sorry for nazis and i challenge uh yeah yeah. You know. All right, well, uh, let's get going to the break, and uh, we'll get to uh, Michelle's Holy Trinity uh, when we come back. It'll be a lot of fun. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I might come back, or I might just go curl up in a ball and die somewhere. I don't know. Thanks, Miles. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> we'll blame Corbis. I'll join you. <laughs> God damn you! All right. Hang tight. We'll be right back with lots more. It came from Cleveland right after this. Exciting, morbid, perverse, ambiguous, enigmatic, more fascinating than ever. Barbara Steele in an original and passionate interpretation of the double role of Muriel and Jenny. Jenny, tender, fragile, romantic. Muriel, perfidious, dangerous, sensual. Two beings bound by a single fate and a single sinister secret. Two contrasting individuals, two opposite and distinct personalities. One woman with two faces, or two women with the same face but profoundly different. A fearful doubt, a sinister enigma which becomes an obsessive nightmare in the night of the doom. The story of a guilty and frenzied passion which lives beyond the borders of death. Victim of the sorcery of a merciless and diabolical sadist. (laughs) 
I'll stay with you with my body and my senses until someone comes and destroys my heart. Now that damned voice will be silent forever and then we'll be rid of you once and for all! No, I can't stand it! In the blood-curdling atmosphere of a thrilling drama in which the forces of evil unleash their sorcery and open the gates of the unknown, reality and nightmare merge, sweeping the possessed lovers into the night of the doom. About last night, it wasn't just an hallucination. It was something unreal and mysterious. And when I was in bed, I knew I was with you when I heard the heartbeats. I was awake, and also when you told I know, my dear. You told me. But it can't have been anything but delirium in your mind. Your wife is not mad, but she runs the risk of becoming so if she continues to live here in this castle. Is it perhaps the eye of a sick mind which calls up visions that trespass upon the other world? Or are they the fears, the boundless hatred and terror of a monstrous reality that drag a human being to the edge of madness? The Night of the Doom, a human drama that goes beyond human life. The Night of the Doom, a film that will take your breath away, that will hold you spellbound, that you will never forget. Produced by Cinematographica Emichi and directed by Alan Grunwald. Soon on this screen. Ghost will carry you to the depths of hell's horror. And I can't go and be the devoted nurse and the loving wife. You've got to put an end to it, Charles. I can't even bear to touch him. They played with the burning fires of illicit passions while he dallied with the devil himself. Be quick, be quick, give me the antidote. Please, Charles. Is he alive? or dead? Is he a corpse or the ghost? From beyond the veil he speaks and rides unseen to mark this house with the black sign of death. They knew the terror of fear. Stop it! frenzy of limitlessly indulging their lusts until the ghost turned their love into the violence of avaricious hate. with the show. It's going to be a good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals.
Yes, the savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead, kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. Foolish hunter, something evil. Il y a toujours dans l'histoire du vampirisme cette cette espèce de sexualité, je pense. Not recommended for impressionable children. There you go, Michelle. There's some Christopher Lee speaking French for you. And, of course, welcome back to the show. Thank you again, Miles, for uh, that utterly depressing look into our past. <laughs> yeah, welcome. <laughs> and, of course, Joe, thank you for your uh, musical es- escapades tonight. Uh, that was a lot of fun and uh, informative. It was a Quinn Martin production. Yeah, a Quinn Martin production. I'm trying to do it as William Conrad. This has been a William... Uh, no. Quinn Martin production. Um, <laughs> and, of course, Michelle, welcome back to you. And go ahead and lay it on, everybody. We're re- we're, we're revisiting uh, some birthdays from last year, this year, and uh, for good reason. Yeah, because they're doing it in a different different way. And forgive me if I'm not too peppy. I will try to be as peppy as I can be, but <laughs> this it. headache is kicking my butt tonight. So, um, yeah, we have a very special birthday this 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 week, um, May twenty second, eighteen fifty nine. Sir Arthur Arthur Conan Doyle, um, the author of the Sherlock Holmes series. Now, mm-hmm. this is a very you know, a, a famous set of stories. They have been done and done and done over and over again in in movie form, TV form, radio dramas, everything. Yeah. But also, three of my favorite actors in the world who also have birthdays this week have done their own versions of them, and that is what we will be covering tonight. All right. So we have three birthdays this month. We have um, on uh, uh, May 26th, we have Peter Cushing's. May 27th, we have both Christopher Lee and Vincent Price. All of these wonderful actors have done classic works. And um, they have also done, if not an exact Sherlock Holmes, but a rendition of Sherlock Holmes. So um, let us cover um, Christopher Lee first. All right. Um, Christopher Lee starred in at least six uh, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle film ad- adaptations or related film products. Um, he was in The Hounds of the Baskervilles in 1959, Sherlock Holmes and the Deadly Necla- Necklace, 1962, The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes in 1970, Sherlock Holmes and the Leading Lady in 1991, Sherlock Holmes the Incident at Victoria Falls in 1992, and Orson Welles' Great Mysteries, The Leather Funnel in 1973. Um, so, you know, he is no um, slouch when it comes to Sherlock Holmes. And you, everybody thinks of Basil Rathbone. Yeah, yeah. As Sherlock Holmes. And yes, he was a great Sherlock Holmes. But my three gentlemen also did their own versions. And the first one that we really have a decent trailer for is Sherlock Holmes' Incident at Victoria Falls from 1992. 
My God, the tumor was gone. The greatest detective the world has ever known is back in a brand new Sherlock Holmes mystery. He died. He reached out to us with a message made by the dead man's own hand. The incident at Victoria Falls. It's one of the most perplexing cases I can remember, Holmes. We have three dead bodies, and we're no nearer finding the murderer or the star of Africa. Gremlin 2's Christopher Lee. Do you know who the murderer is or not? <laughs> oh, yes. The one yes, with a cobra tattooed on that chest. And the Avengers' Patrick McNee. Every one of them deceased. As though someone is meeting out retribution. Star as Sherlock Holmes and the ever-present Dr. Watson. Looks like a small foreign object. A dart. Tipped with a poison extracted from the devil's foot root by many of the local tribes. Now they tell me which one of them killed Dulo and stole Star of Africa. I cannot tell you now, but soon. Sherlock Holmes, the incident at Victoria Falls. I know, when I think of Christopher Lee, I automatically think Gremlins too. <laughs> yes, I thought that was hilarious. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Come on. I mean, Patrick McNee, the Avengers, of course, now kids might be confused. Yes, there was uh, Steed and Peel, the uh, original Avengers TV series. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, wow, okay. <laughs> Kremlin's yeah. too. But, uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, go yeah, ahead. Not, yeah, not not one of my more memorable movies for Christopher Lee. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, the man with the golden gun? Yeah, you know? or, you know, Dracula, come uh, on. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, that might be a little too frightening for people. So Okay, yeah. But come on, dudes, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's absurd. But, uh, yeah, yeah but, so that, that came out in 92, huh? Uh, yeah, and I did them kind of, I, I kind of did them backwards because mm -hmm. of, there, there's certain problems with the properties that came before that, before sure. those. Um, first of all, I couldn't find trailers for them. <laughs> and the second, one of them was so badly dubbed, it was a German movie. Oy. It was, and it was, and when, uh, uh, I will, uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But um, the 1991 movie, um, a, it, it was uh, Sherlock Holmes and the Leading Lady. And this had Morgan... Um, Fairchild, okay, in it, and she she played the lead the lead female role in this. Um, it was an interesting movie. It was just kind of a little trite. It basically had a more older Sherlock Holmes, and the, since this was before the ninety two one incident, Victoria Falls. Mm -hmm. um, this was when Sherlock Holmes was feeling older. He was worried he's losing his his mental acumen. He was kind of just you know and. Um, I have a cute little clip here of what happens when you get aboard Sherlock Holmes. All right. My mental powers atrophy from lack of stimulation, Watson. In this fog, a thief or murderer could roam the streets of London with abandon. And yet not one word do I hear such events. Can I be hearing correct? Are you complaining that there isn't more crime in the streets of London, Holmes? Certainly not. I am complaining, as you put it, that there is not more interesting crime on the streets of London. <laughs> Could it be that there is? And no one is consulting me about it. Why would they do that? I'm getting old, Watson. My mental powers are not what they were. 
I fear the word has spread. Nonsense. You're as brilliant as ever. Mr. Holmes, I've had enough. My nerves won't stand it. You promised you'd never do that again. I know, Mrs. Hudson, I know. I'll pay for the damage. The bullet went right through my china swan. It was a souvenir from Brighton. How will I ever replace it? I'm sorry. It's this infernal fog. A man needs something to do. You want something to do? You can go into my sitting room and clean up the mess. You could have shot me, you know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I, so I... you do not want to board Sherlock Holmes. He starts shooting at the walls. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, the, I, I found that very funny. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fun little romp. I don't like it as, you know, m m uh, the other Sherlock Holmes movies because it, it seems a little too contrived. Yeah. Um, the, the, the incident at Victoria Falls is a little bit better. Um, but, um, yeah, so he he then, in, 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 earlier to this, he did a movie in 1962. It's called Sherlock Holmes and the Deadly Necklace. Um, it was done for uh, it was done underneath German direction with a uh, with, with with a mostly German cast other than Christopher Lee, and um, he was not very happy with the final product because um, he was not able to dub his own dialogue into it. And so when it was released, there was another actor doing the dialogue. It did it, it totally made no sense because why do you have a movie with Christopher Lee if you're not going to have his voice in it? Yeah, you know. Um, uh, while, uh, however, while shooting it, something interesting did happen. Um, they were shooting the movie in Dublin. Some gypsy extras came up to Sir Christopher Lee between takes and inquired about his origins. From the observation of his physical type and the few things Lee told them about his father, their conclusion was that he must have had some Romney ancestry. Knowing very little about his father's family, Lee gladly welcomed that assumption. Cool. And I thought that was a, a nice little bit of, uh, you know, a little something like that. You know, hey, you know, we're gonna, we're going to take you. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty sweet. I, I like the little anecdotes like that. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm sorry. Yeah, Howling Two is better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Adam Slice, you didn't think of Halloween too. No, how any of the Halloween movies is, are better than than this one. Yeah. There you um, go. So, um, uh, yeah. So then we have. Um, so th there is there is Christopher Elise Peter uh, Sherlock Holmes, and that's not the only Sherlock Holmes he was in. But he did not play Sherlock Holmes. But we will get to that later. Um, the next one I'm going for is a movie that's not really, it, it's a Sherlock Holmes movie, kind of, but it's, it's based a, it's on a, pas a mouse. A pastiche, a pastiche, as it were. Yes. Yeah, this, this, is, this is based on a mouse that lived in the walls of Sherlock Holmes' house, who considered himself a detective. And it's a fun little animated movie from 1986. Um, it has Vincent Price as the villain in it. It's called The Great Mouse Detective. From the creators who brought you the adventure of Aladdin and the excitement of the Little Mermaid comes a tale of mystery, suspense, and a great big adventure in The Great Mouse Detective. When a beloved toy maker disappears, delightfully wicked, there's only one mouse for the job. That's the Baker Street, my good fellow. 
together with his trusty sidekick. <laughs> he's ready to crack the case. Your father is as good as fun. Miss Flamhammer. Flabbersham. Whatever. But only if he can stop a slimy, contemptible sewer rat. Ricky and wicked of all. The clues are in. Basil of the case. The pressure is on. I'm right behind you, Basil. And the adventure is about to begin. To Buckingham Palace. <laughs> Say cheese. Smile, everyone. For the mouse who always gets his man. I thought I'd never find you. Elementary, my dear Dawson. The film Joel Siegel calls magic. And Siskel and Ebert give two thumbs up. Disney's animated classic, The Great Mouse Detective. Miss Flanchester. Flavisham. Whatever. That's fun. It is. It's a fun. It's a fun little goofy movie. Um, but it takes you know the the, the Sherlock Holmes myth and and gives it an an additional life. You know, kind of like with like the Rescuers and other other movies that were done like that, where they put animals in the roles of the people. Yeah. Um, but what's great about it is uh, Vincent Price. He, you know, Vincent Price plays a great heavy. I mean, a great evil man. Yeah. He's a great, he's a great, cool, you know, a great leading man, period. But when he does evil, he throws, he throws it in. He's just, he does, he goes all in. He's got the great voice, that the great presence. And so he plays Professor Radigan, which in this movie is, is the, in this animated thing, it's very similar to Professor Moriarty. Yeah. And um, so he, here is Professor Radigan at his most evil. <laughs> Quite an ingenious scheme, eh, Flapperson? And aren't you proud to be a part of it? <laughs> this whole thing is... is it, it, it's monstrous. We will have our little device ready by tomorrow evening, won't we? You know what will happen if you fail. I, I, I don't care. You can do what you want with me. I won't be a part of this, this, this evil any longer. Very well. If that is your decision. <laughs> oh, uh, by the way, I'm uh, taking the liberty of having your daughter brought here. Oh. Olivia? Yes. <laughs> yes. I would spend many a sleepless night if... Anything unfortunate were to befall her. <laughs> you, you, you wouldn't! Finish it, Flavisham! Oh, I love it when I'm nasty. Fidget! Fidget! Bright and alert as always. Here's the list. And you know what to do, and no mistakes. 
<laughs> no, no, no mistakes here. Tools, gears, girl, uniforms. Oh, fidget! I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. My friends, we are about to embark on the most odious, the most evil, the most diabolical scheme of my illustrious career. A crime to top all crimes, a crime that will live in infamy! Tomorrow yeah! evening, our beloved monarch celebrates her diamond jubilee. With the enthusiastic help of our good friend, Mr. Flevisham, <laughs> it promises to be a night she will never forget. <laughs> Last night, and my first, as supreme ruler of all Malstons! <laughs> Yo. You know, who else could who else could bring such joy and such evilness into a cartoon rat? You know? <laughs> yeah. And it, it's a really fun voice he's doing there too, because it's not you know, he is doing a slightly different voice than his own, you know? Adding yeah. a little bit of a uh, little weird little smugness that isn't typically there, you know. Correct, because you know he's 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 really pulling it into the character. Because if mm -hmm. you look at the animation of the character, the characters are really greasy slime ball of a character. Yeah. So yeah. it it and he does it so nicely. <laughs> and he's of course he got that chuckle in there, you know. And you know I do love it when I'm nasty. <laughs> yeah, that's hysterical. So um, <laughs> so then we go on to the our next birthday boy. Um, Peter Cushing says Sherlock Holmes. Um, he not only did a series of TV shows from 1964 to 1968 on Sherlock Holmes, he also played a doctor in a movie. Oh, the doctor in the movie. In a movie, yeah. It wasn't, yeah. So I think it was two. Um, there were two Doctor Who movies. Yes. Yeah. And um, they really didn't fit into the, the 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 zeitgeist, but you know he did. He was called the Doctor, so there yeah. you go. And um, but um, he was in in a 1984 movie and a 1959 movie. Now the um, I think the first one I did is the 1984 Sherlock Holmes and the Mask of Death. Okay. Uh, the first one you have is Hound of the Baskervilles. Baskervilles. Okay, I did. I did him in the thing. Okay. Now the Hound of the Baskervilles. He was in with Christopher Lee, and Christopher Lee was playing Sir Henry, who was the Lord um, uh, that was in charge during the, the Hound of the Baskerville. You know, he he was he was the one that was underneath the curse of the Hound of the Baskervilles. So there we go. There you go. <laughs> the legend of the Hound of the Baskervilles. Take heed, and beware the moor in those dark hours 
when evil is exalted. Else you will surely meet the hound of hell, the hound of the Baskervilles. Which way? For heaven's sake, which way? The greatest story ever written by one of the world's greatest storytellers. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's classic masterpiece of mystery, suspense, and horror. The Hound of the Baskervilles. Some revolting sacrificial rite has been performed. What depth a human being can sink to. What human being could have done this? That is precisely what I intend to find out. Be so certain that somebody took one of the bishop's spiders and deliberately placed it in Sir Henry's room. That it wasn't in the luggage he brought from South Africa. Elementary, my dear Watson. There are no tarantulas in South Africa. What do you want me to do? Identify anything I may find. Strange things are to be found on the moor. Like this, for instance. it was going to be easy, didn't you? Didn't you? You won't be the first of your family who thought that. And you won't be the first to die because of it. Ow, ow, ow. Yes. And, and people who say, well, you know, you normally do horror. I'm sorry, The Hound of the Baskervilles, that was a creepy-ass Sherlock Holmes episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it really was. It had a lot of elements of horror in it. Yeah, something running around on the moors, brutally mauling people to death. Hell, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are no tarantulas in South Africa. That's right. And he's correct. Yep, they're South American. Mm-hmm. Or in Texan, Texas, if William Shatner has a ranch. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes, as we saw in, in Tarantula, uh, Kingdom of the Spiders. There you go. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, that was... Uh, so, yeah, it was Peter Cushing's playing um, Sherlock Holmes and Christopher Lee as Sir Henry. And very, very fun little, little uh, Sherlock Holmes episode. And then we have, you know, an older movie. Uh, I mean, a more newer movie. Sorry. 1984. Um, uh, Sherlock Holmes and the Masks of Death. Are you quite, um, comfortable, Miss Derwent? Uh, perfectly, thank you, Dr. Watson. Oh, now, um, a cushion, perhaps. Watson kindly cease fussing. Had this account been committed to paper at the time, this young lady's services would not have been required, nor her comfort your concern. Publication was expressly forbidden until recently. Permission has only just been received. But nowadays, you know, um, a touch of arthritis, is it? Whenever you're ready, sir. Mm -hmm. Oh, Dr. Watson is my boss. Well, now, the events which follow took place just before the Great War. Europe 
was still at peace. But had it not been for Sherlock Holmes, England would have suffered such an appalling catastrophe during that war as to bring her to the very brink of defeat and surrender. It began when two alert river police constables saw something. The object which had attracted their attention proved to be the body of a man trapped between two cross timbers of an abandoned wharf. With some difficulty, they contrived to dislodge the corpse and drag it into the boat. Give me a hand. Come on. He seemed to be no more than just another unfortunate victim of the river. But his face, it could only be described as that of a man who had witnessed some unimaginable, terrible evil. There you go. Yeah, it wasn't really a trailer, but it was kind of like a, a brief compilation of the beginning of the movie. Yeah, so. yeah. But yeah, so there we go. We've got three great actors all born within, you know, all within two days of each other on their birthdays. Um, all in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, roles as Sherlock Holmes, or at least a, a an approximation of them, yeah. you know, as, in some way. And I thought it just fit really, really well with today's theme, so. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. As, as per usual, uh, great job uh, selecting a topic. Thank you. So, um, all right, well, uh, I suppose we should probably uh, get to our uh, second uh, trailer break here before we start wrapping things up. Uh, would you uh, care to uh, tell us what other birthdays we're celebrating for this uh, Memorial Day weekend? Yes, I ran out of Sherlock Holmes, so here we go okay. with just some fun <laughs> birthdays. Uh, we have Feruza Balk, born uh, May 21st, 1974, and she's in a fun little witchy movie called The Craft from 1996. We have it for sale in our store, and she was also in Return to Oz, which is a really creepy, fun movie. Yes, it is, and she she's a cool little actress. I like her. Yeah. Um, we also have Doug Jones of Hellboy fame and a few other movies. He play, he plays a ton of monsters, and in this one, you know, he was born on March 24th, 1960, and this one is a creepy movie from 2017 called The Bye Bye Man. Oh. And our last one is Helen Bonham Carter, born May 26, 1966. And she's in a fun movie I really have a soft spot in my heart for because I ha had a role of it um, in, in a stage production. And she is in Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street from 2007. All right. Well, here we go. We'll be right back with more after this, uh, our final trailer break right here on It Came From Cleveland. I think I'll have me a little drinky-winky. To the other kids at St. Bernard Academy, they were the girls who didn't belong. Whatever you do, stay away from them. Why? They're witches. But after years of being on the outside... Why'd you lie about me? I don't want to go out with you again. Please, stop begging. It's pathetic. Four girls are about to discover the dark side. You ever heard of invoking the spirit? Black magic. We can make things happen. I mean, this is it. This is real.
Columbia Pictures welcomes you to the witching hour. Her spell is working. Sit. Watch out for those weirdos. <laughs> we are the weirdos, mister. He's real. If you say his name, or even think it, he'll come for you. Tell me you know that. Please don't make me say it. Don't say it, don't think it. If I tell you about him, you and your kids, you're all dead. Well, house off campus with John Henry and a living girlfriend. Should we do it? <laughs> yeah. You ready for this? There's something happening. He's found us. Who? Don't think it, don't say it. The bye-bye man. And the more you think about him, the closer he gets. He's trying to get inside us. Jesus. He makes us see things. Like a virus. Don't say it, don't think it. It could spread everywhere. I'm not gonna let it happen. Please! Don't say it, don't think it! We have to help them! No, no, it's a trick! This is the tale of an ordinary man who had everything. Barker's name was Benjamin Barker. Until a man of power stole his freedom, destroyed his family, and banished him. May the Lord have mercy on your soul. For life. And in his sorrow, a new man was born. Fifteen years dreaming. I might come home to a wife and child. Benjamin Parker. 
no Barker. Sweeney Todd now, and he will have his revenge. That's my wife. She's gone. And he's got your daughter. Judge Tupin. You gotta leave this all behind you now. No. These are desperate times. Desperate measures are called for. All right! You, sir! No one's in the chair. Come on, come on! Sweeney's waiting. I want you, bleeders. You, sir! Two, sir. Welcome to the grave. I will have vengeance. I will have salvation. I can guarantee the closest shave you will ever know. May the good Lord smile on you. You're poking mad. The years, no doubt, have changed me. That's all very well, but what are we going to do about him? Can you feel the love? All right, well done, Michelle. Thank you for that. I feel really padding out the show tonight with the trailers. I appreciate that, as always. You are most welcome, and I do feel the love. <laughs> all right, all right. And, of course, welcome back uh, to you and Miles as well. Thank you uh, yeah, hello. for your uh, wrist-slashing uh, story earlier. So <laughs> I'm teasing you. You know that. And, yeah. uh, and of course, uh, Joe, welcome back for your uh, Name That Tune that we didn't do too good at. <laughs> so <laughs> but, but it was fun swallow all, up. all the same. At yes. least we didn't get skunked, you know? <laughs> yeah. You did it. You got some. Oh, I was so excited when Cannon was on there. So, because I thought I that know. was a, Qu a Quinn Martin production. Um, and, uh, you know, the funny thing is, I thought Quinn Martin, I thought it was two people like Rankin Bass or, you know, uh, you know, something like that. I didn't know it was one guy. No, no. He's the, he was the Dick Wolf of the uh, 60s and 70s. Nice. Nice. So and uh, and Car uh, Carol Burnett's husband uh, Joe Hamilton was a lot like that too. With uh, you know, he did uh, uh, you know her show and Mama's Family and a bunch of other stuff too. Um, see his name pop up a lot on stuff. Uh, Jody's dad, and um, of course, uh, uh, yeah. So uh, we don't have a lot left, but um, I, I from uh, the Cure Delay file. I'll play you a riveting scene. Uh, the audio from the abysmal Canadian 70s sci-fi TV show, which could have been so much more. Except it just looks like... It, I mean, the first episode is like the Amish in space, is what it looks like. It, it, there's nothing really to pull, pull you into it. And the special effects are bad. The dialogue's not that great, but this is a scene where uh, Devin, the character played the main main character played by Kier Delay, 
is whisked out of his uh, his normal confines, which is an agricultural community, very rural. Again, all the guys have like chin beards and stuff like that, and the big wide brim hats. They look like they're Amish, you know. And and in Kierdele in this show, Joe has a big freaking cookie duster. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a, a a stash to rival Selleck's and uh, you know it's like two Tom Selleck's. Um, and uh, uh, but uh, yeah, so he plays a character named Devin who's whisked out of his normal surroundings, and he's seeing now for the first time some of the inner workings of the ship, and he's in a room uh, where. He is introduced to the computer system, which is just annoying. And uh, yeah, so here's here's a little bit what you, of what you can expect from the Star Lost, which is not a good show. Can I be of assistance? What can I do for you? Who are you? I'm Mu Lambda 165, automatically programmed for general information. Can I help you? I'm Mu Lambda 165, automatically programmed for general information. Can I help you? Are you real? You are watching a visualization appropriate to pre-programmed word replies. Next question, please. <laughs> Where am I? So bad. What are all these places? I was pulled along a tunnel. Description of the bounce tube. From which biosphere are you? What is biosphere? Environment. Could you mean Cypress Corners? Cypress Corners? Yes, Cypress Corners. Ethnic agrarian community, biosphere AG3 of Earthship Ark. Earthship Ark? Yeah, that's what you can expect and a whole lot less. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> It's bad. It is awful. Uh, I I don't you know and I I wished it could have worked out because the concept again is very fun, very cool, proven to be a good story when it was done in old time radio, but uh, absolutely atrocious uh, for low budget Canadian television. Uh, I had real high hopes going into it, and it's just uh, it's just it's not for the timid. Let me tell you. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, well, no, it is for the timid. If you like really boring, shitty TV, this show's for you. <laughs> um, you know, and I usually can get around stuff like that, but I mean, it just didn't strike me as having like any of the 70s sci-fi charm that I was used to from, you know, even, even kind of stinker shows like Buck Rogers and, uh, you know, cause the second season of Buck Rogers was pretty bad. Um, you know, the first season, you know, they completely changed it, the, the second season from the first, but they didn't even get a chance to get out of the gates with the Star Lost. Um, you know, and it, but, you know, I mean, even the Logan's Run TV show was kind of entertaining, 
versus this. The Planet of the Apes TV show was wildly entertaining compared to this. Um, you know, uh, but, but this, uh, yeah, it's just, um, you know, I really wanted to do a review of this show for you guys. I might do it at some point, but man, it was just that first episode was like, uh, I started drooling on myself and head bouncing, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, you know, and again, it's, it has cure delay. So you want to love it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, you know, uh, but that show, all I got to say is, you're tearing me apart. Yeah, you are. You're tearing me apart. Cause I want to love it, but I can't cause it's terrible. <laughs> um, yeah. Whatever, whatever colony was from or whatever, you know, the, uh, uh, farming community he was from, they certainly did not know anything about color. <laughs> oh God. Cypress corners. Uh, what, a what an atrocity. Oh, did you find some images from it? Yeah, I threw some up. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I yeah, you you would throw up if you uh, saw. Look at that stash, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's worthy of a uh, <laughs> a fuller brush. <sighs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, Jesus. Um, but uh, yeah, I just uh, you know, I I I I watched this show and just you know that that first one just it's it's a it's a non-starter. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, you're not missing anything, Miles. Don't worry. <laughs> cool. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're right, Michelle. I mean, you know, cause that's, that's how they were dressed, but there was, there were other guys like he was the only one that had a mustache. Every, all the other guys like had the big chin beards and they, <laughs> and they were espousing like really like ludicrous kind of kind of bible quotes and stuff like that and and it was just like ugh, this is not fun um but uh but yeah you know but you know Kierdele, he looked good but and, and again harlan ellison his his hatred uh towards uh Kierdele and his he ridiculed him in this interview and the whole and i was listening to it in the whole interview he's like chewing on food too and i'm like oh this is just terrible audio every which way it's ugly and it sounds like shit and you know um i you know i always found harlan ellison kind of entertaining when i was younger i'd hear interviews with him but now that i'm older i'm just like it's just he's just abrasive and unnecessarily mean about dumb shit it's like it's very you know, pretentious if i remember from a lot of his interviews yeah yeah you know, it, it's just like, I'm the artist, I'm the writer, how dare you? Well, don't write for TV if you don't want your vision to be changed. You know, it's it's kind of that simple. Um, you know, it's it's not... Uh, I don't even remember what episodes he wrote of Star Trek. Miles, do you know uh, what episodes of Star Trek he did? Oh, uh, I'm really ignorant when it comes to who writes episodes. Okay, well, or... It, uh, uh, Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek. Let's see what episodes. Um. Oh, he. Yeah, and he. It says he wrote the greatest episode, but he hated it. Um. Uh, City on the Edge of Forever. Mm. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. Well, he hated what they did to it. So, uh, and that, and he said that he would piss on the grave of Gene Roddenberry for for it poop head yeah so 
but but yeah, um, but there's an, an article on Vox about it if uh, anybody would like to read his reasoning behind it, which is probably kind of erratic and annoying. Um, but uh, yeah, he wrote a couple Babylon fives too. It looks like. Oh, okay. So, you know, and, and you know, he he did some he did some fun stuff, but you know, it's like you know, it, dude, you're not Burroughs. Chill out, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, so things to look forward to uh, coming up. Uh, we've got the release of Doctor Strange um, two coming into uh, uh, streaming next month. That's exciting. Uh, well, I guess they dropped the first two episodes of Obi Wan Kenobi, which I'm excited about. Very cool. Mm. And um, that's all Disney Plus. We have The Boys season three coming up with Jensen Ackles as uh, Soldier Boy. Uh, <laughs> apparently, uh, int- I read an interesting uh, article uh, that there was he he got in touch with the the showrunner. Um, and told him, look, I have a wife and I have kids and I have a soul. And there is this scene that they, they haven't said what it was, but there was one scene he absolutely refused to do. And they, they said, okay, that's fine. Because apparently they're doing some really, really rough stuff this season, including a story referred to as hero gasm, which is an orgy with superheroes. Oh, lovely! Yeah. So, and there's some real bloody stuff in in the, the the trailers that I've seen too. Worse than exploding a whale. Yeah, really. Um, or exploding an invisible guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just exploding lots of people and dropping people to their bloody pulp of a death. Um, and oh, wow. uh, yeah, and Homelander, of course, has completely lost his mind at this point. After last season, last season was brutal enough, but apparently this season is going to go completely off the rails. Did you watch no, the boys, like... Joe? No, I didn't. yeah, it's it's a self-contained Amazon uh, show, but if you it's it's got some yeah, it makes Peacemaker look like a kids show. Yeah, it's got so, some triggering stuff in there. We we yeah. had a problem with the first season, so <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking. I mean, Susan's gonna want to watch it because of Jensen Ackles. But will we be able to look at him the same way again? <laughs> so, uh, but it's good that he, he, you know, he got to refuse to do a certain scene that we we don't know about. Eventually, we'll probably know, but uh, who knows? I'm sure if there's anybody who's read the boys' comic books out there, uh, they 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 might have a few guesses. But uh, anyway, well, yeah, I, I think that that just about wraps it up. We got um, about four minutes to go here, so we can start uh, ending the show. Um, Joe, uh, you want to? You care to tell anybody what's coming up on Tim Carmel this Sunday? Well, we're taking the week off, so there'll be a Memorial uh, Day special, which will be a uh, Best of the Clown Car. All right, love I don't know. that. Volume ninety nine or something. <laughs> yeah, volume six hundred and seventy three. Yeah, when are you putting out that that uh, that thousand disc box set? Only when you're ready to sell it on eBay. There you go. I'll uh, sold. Yes, I'll do it. I'll it'll do be it. Un- unopened, originally wrapped <laughs> in factory. <laughs> yeah, factory sealed with studio stamps. <laughs> yes, and autographs by autographs. the original co-hosts. There you go. Yes. Maybe some doodles. 
So yes, uh, House on Haunted Hill on Svengoolie. Don't miss that. I'm probably rerun. going to because it's a rerun. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was just on Big Bad B Movie Show. Uh, but yeah, okay. we'll we'll watch something else and then watch Big Bad Big Bad B Movie Show. But uh, all right, sounds good. And uh, Michelle, what do you got on the way out? I hear that there's a new Nasratu in the works. And Uh-oh. guess guess who is playing Nasratu? Hmm. Can't be Willem Dafoe. No, but he's a birthday boy. Oh. I don't have any guesses. It's Doug. Doug Jones. Oh, Doug Jones. Okay. Of course, and he's on Star Trek Voyage or Star, Star Trek uh, Discovery. Yes, um, and it's well. in post-production right now, so I can't wow. wait. Wow, very cool. So he's probably going to be happy not to be buried under tons of prosthetics this time, right? <laughs> no, just, but he's still under prosthetics. Yeah, <laughs> There's a just, lot of makeup just, for that Just character. a few. Just a, not, not like his character on Star Trek, though. Jesus Christ. Um, but, uh, and, uh, of course, oh, yeah, and I've been enjoying Star Trek... Um, uh, 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 Brave, Brave New Worlds? Is that what it's called? Uh, the, Strange New World. Strange New World. Strange New World. Strange yeah. New World. Yeah. Yes. Great show. I love Anson, Anson Mount as um, Pike. Very cool. Rebecca Roman is number two. Um, and uh, and we've got all kinds of deep cut references. We've got a con reference and the Gorn. So, uh, yeah. And uh, uh, Miles, what do you got? Uh, or, or anything else, Michelle? No, that's it for me. Okay. I'm sorry, my head's hurting, that's so I'm okay. having trouble. <laughs> uh, Miles, what do you got, sir? Uh, yeah, just everybody keep a level head. Try not to get, you know, overly... Uh, <laughs> the tragedies of this week are really bad news. Uh, so on the bright side, uh, hopefully tomorrow, Michelle and I will have a new, the, the latest and greatest fiber optics to the house uh, for internet installed. So. Fun. So hopefully that'll... Uh, make us more stable all right very good so all right uh everybody have a terrific weekend uh have a good three-day weekend for all those folks working out there that get the monday off and uh uh, we will see you back here next week on it came from cleveland open the pod bay doors hell i'm sorry dave i'm afraid i can't do that